some bad news for you. Not now, Marge. I'm waiting for the new XFL season. Who will win this year's million-dollar game? Who? Who? Honey. The X is for extreme. There is no XFL this year. The league folded. Who is it? Who told you? Last year's MVP. He sweeps up toenails at the beauty parlor. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 30, Submission 149. Hey Vince, what are we talking about this show? This is the The XFL aired from February to late April of 2001 and it aired on NBC, TNN, and UPN. So, guys, when football season ends after the Super Bowl, we we get so bummed because it's like we're not going to have any football for, what, like, until... Eight months? uh, Seven months? Well, Well, I mean, even even if you look at it from a, a bigger perspective... The draft generally doesn't happen till uh, mid to late April. So at worst, you may have about a two and a half month lag. Yeah. So what do, what do you do here? Well, sometimes in the past, we have some leagues that have operated in the spring. Now, originally, guys, we were going to do an episode on alternative football leagues, but because of certain events with our subject we just had to give this subject its own episode oh and by the way we are going to do an episode on aaf and usfl and world football league and, and nfl UFL. that that's all coming down the road yes but we're going to focus just on the xfl today yes to get to the xfl you got to know about two people vince mcmahon and dick ebersole and well, Vince McMahon, we all know, he bought the WWF from his father in the early 80s. He broke the rules of the wrestling business. He took his Northeastern promotion into a national phenomenon with, with guys like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Andre the Giant. And then you have Dick Ebersole, who got his start working for Rune Orlidge at ABC. And then he left to create Saturday Night Live with Lorne Michaels in 1975. And of course, he would later go on to become the executive producer of Saturday Night Live in 1981 after Gene Dominion's disastrous season, replacing Lorne Michaels in 1980 to 81. Yeah, that's guys, another episode. Yeah, yeah that, we that's September. Yeah, that's September. We were originally supposed to do that last week, but certain circumstances, understandably, had to push that back. But we'll get to that later. So, Vince and Dick. They met each other back in 1985. Both were impressed with their ability to put on a show. So the two of them would partner in the 80s to create Saturday night's main event for the WWF on NBC, which would periodically replace SNL once every two months. It was a giant hit, and in the process, Dick Ebersole would help Vince with the WWF's television production and in the process, improve the production. Because if you ever watched like a WWF broadcast 
from like a Madison Square Garden house show in like 1984 or early 85 or whatever, or just watch the first WrestleMania. It's like the camera work is kind of crappy. The television production is not that good. Dick Ebersole helped Vince like improve his television production and just, it just instantly made it a better show. And they were a great partnership together. And, but unfortunately, the partnership would come to an end when Dick had to leave Vince to become the president of NBC Sports back in 1989. How did these two men meet each other again, you might ask? Well, How did these had two to, men meet each other? Well, I'm going to get to that. It had to do with the end of the NFL on NBC. Now, the NFL had been on NBC even going all the way back to the mid-60s when they had the rights to the American Football League. But in the 1990s, television rights for the NFL were becoming big dizzes. Fox had bought the NFC rights from CBS for around 3 to $4 billion in 1984. And in that process, it changed the game as far as money for televised sports. And in 1998, Dick decided it wouldn't be worth keeping the rights to the AFC because of the high cost. He wanted about $500 million per year to broadcast the NFL. So the AFC rights went to CBS as they went back to the football business, leaving NBC out of the football business for the first time since the mid-60s. Super Bowl 32 would be their final NFL broadcast for at least Six years. Now, originally, guys, NBC tried to form a new football league with Time Warner. I actually just discovered this. Time Warner and NBC were trying to create a alternative league together back in 1989 to 2000. But for whatever reason, the plans didn't work out. So that never happened. So the creation of the league in October of 1999 of the XFL Vince decides to create the league, figuring there was a drought in sports after the Super Bowl. So he he figured, well, why not fill that with more football? So Vince and one of his longtime associates in the WWF, Basil DeVito, who was the president of the XFL, they wrote on a notepad a list of rules and what the vision for what the league wanted to be. Vince was a fan of aggression and smash mouth football, and he wanted the players in his league to have an attitude similar to the wrestlers in the WWF. So that the WWF announced that they would start the league one year from the date on February 3rd, 2001. And the following month, NBC announced that they would be airing the XFL. And not only that, guys, they would be 50-50 partners with the WWF. So when this when so when this all started, guys, what was your feelings about this? Uh, well, I was a fresh-faced kid in college, and I didn't know any better. I mean, this would just be my sort of first five years of being a very serious fan of football. You, you got to remember, Carolina, the the Carolina Panthers had were only in. Only in what their ninth, tenth season? In no, they were in... one. They would have been like their seventh season or sixth season. Or my, my my mistake. Uh, yeah, but but yeah. I mean, I was young in my fandom, and I was eager to see what this new league had to offer. 
I uh, was I was reasonably optimistic. Um, football that, that, like you said earlier, sort of fills that void between the Super Bowl and let's even say training camp. I mean, the, the draft is only three days, and there really isn't much football between the draft and and uh, and training camp, which is in July. So filling that void was exciting. But ultimately, the player level just it, it wasn't that good. I, I mean, it, there were NFL retreads and and busts and 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 good college players. I mean, some of the names and Greg and I talked about this earlier. Some of the names were were you know decent players in college, but just just d- didn't uh, make the transition to the NFL that well, or, or weren't prepared enough for the NFL. So. Uh, I had I was optimistic about it, but not surprised about its demise. Yeah, I should note, guys. What does the X in the XFL stand for? Officially or unofficially? Officially, nothing. Correct. It stands for absolutely nothing. In fact, when the league was first organized in 1999. It was originally supposed to stand for the Extreme Football League. However, it was already a league in formation at the same time with that name. And so promoters want to make sure that the X did not stand for anything. The other Extreme Football League, which was organized in 1989, actually merged with the Arena Football League's minor league AF2 before ever playing a single game. So the X in XFL is sort of like the S in Harry S. Truman. Yup. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to the marketing. So NBC has a has a football league, a brand new football league starting in 2001. But NBC has a problem. They can't, they don't know how to promote this to advertisers. They have no rules. They have no players. They have no team names. So all the, all they knew was, this was a smash mouth league, but they weren't sure what it was, and they needed six weeks to show the advertisers what the XFL was. So they marketed it around two things. And what were those two things? Probably the WWF connection. Kind of. But they first, they marketed it around the cheerleaders. That's right, folks. There were cheerleaders. And not just cheerleaders but sexy cheerleaders. In fact, they encouraged the cheerleaders to date the players. And that's a big no-no in, in other leagues. Yeah. Yes. And not only that, they, 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 they marketed it around how sexy the cheerleaders were, and they wanted to show how gritty this league was. The XFL, the promos, they had these players avoiding cannonballs, they had them uh, dodging minefields. They were carrying trucks. And what was the biggest thing that they wanted to promote out of this league? The fact that there was no fair catches. So they, to demonstrate it, they had a wrecking ball take a player out. Just to show, hey guys, this isn't going to be like the NFL. No, 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 no. We don't have any fair catches in this league. Okay. I'm still stuck on the cheerleaders because it brings back. <laughs> well, no, wait, 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 Chico, you're laughing. You don't know why I'm stuck on this. 
Um, it just brings back the whole jiggle factor thing that we've been talking about for seemingly like the last like six weeks. Yeah. Uh, okay. You know, what's one of the main draws of the XFL? Let's show the cheerleaders. Okay. Well, well, it makes sense because at the time the WWF, the Attitude Era, was more like swearing, like people getting pissed off, people beating the crap out of each other, and boobs. Yep, that's about right. And this was before uh, the Divas era of of the WWE, too. So when you talk about boobs, you're basically talking about, you know, their cheerleaders, their escorts. Escorts to talent. Yeah, and by the way, I should mention they would they would also during the game broadcast they would have like segments on the cheerleaders. Like this is what I do when I on my on my work time. But when I'm done with this work time, I'm an XFL cheerleader for I don't know the LA Extreme or the Birmingham Bolts or whatever. There was this one segment I saw in one of the games where they have. This this woman for this cheerleader for the San Francisco Demons. I'm a teacher. I teach second grade students. I I work to make sure that these children have a better tomorrow. But when I'm done teaching, I'm an XFL cheerleader. And the cheerleader bites an apple while Van Halen's hot for teacher is playing. I'm like, yeah, that's really great for the parents, huh? They have it's not necessarily great for just the parents. The teacher herself, she's basically telling everybody she works with and her administration and the entire district, hey, look at me. Here's my side hustle. I'm a cheerleader. In the XFL. Let's uh, see what's going on with one of the demon cheerleaders. Hi, I'm Tanisha, and I'm a kindergarten teacher here in Hayward, California. And this is my class behind me. I've wanted to be a teacher ever since I was in the second grade, and now I'm finally living out my dream. On a daily basis, I shape the lives of today's youth for a brighter tomorrow. Not in the show. But when school's out, I'm an XFL cheerleader for the San Francisco Demons. Teacher. Yeah. You ever have a teacher like that, Bob? Oh, sorry, I was singing. Oh. No. <laughs> I probably did when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> shaping, the, shaping the youth of today. Must have been a private school. <laughs> Especially in the XFL. I think if it was any other league, like the NBA or the NFL, maybe it might be a little more dignified. But since you're talking about the XFL, the the bad boys, if you will, the new person on the block, I don't know how I, I'd take that if I was uh, working with that teacher or associated with that teacher in any way. And, and Mike would know since he is a teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and also a, a cheerleader in my spare time. <laughs> so the XFL, it was marketed and sold as a thing that nobody had ever seen before. Now, there were there were eight teams in the league. They were limited to 38 players per team. And the XFL paid standardized player salaries. For example, quarterbacks earned $5,000 a week. All other players got $4,500 a week. But do you want to know how much the kickers got? How much did the kickers get? They got $3,500 a week. That's not entirely fair. 
So, so, so you're basically getting paid uh, that much money to come in with uh, five seconds left to go and kick a ball. I'm in the wrong yes. field. I'm clearly in the wrong field. Well, I was going to say, that's not necessarily fair because now the, the kickers here did do kickoffs, right? Yes. I, I really think that the kickers are the most important players in the game because they get to sort of decide where the, the ball's going to be placed. But here's the thing. This is the XFL, and they didn't have a kickoff. We'll get to that later. Yeah, the kicker has only made $3,500, but here's the thing. If you won a game, guess what, guys? You got a bonus of $2,500. That's not insignificant. No, it actually is a good... I like that because it gives the players more of an incentive to win and to play because you're playing for an extra $2,500. So if you're like not a quarterback and a kicker and you're making $4,500 a week, you know, if I win the game, I'm making seven, I'm making seven grand for the week. Right. And also for a playoff game, it was $7,500 for a playoff win. So guys, approximately three weeks before the start of the XFL to show the NFL that the XFL was serious, they were going to fly a blimp over the Oakland Coliseum during an Oakland Raiders playoff game. But here's the problem. The blimp crashed into a seafood restaurant. Ouch. Yes. What do you even say to that? Yeah, I'm going to... Well, what I was going to say is, I I know they're trying to drum up publicity, but you sure as heck know that Roger Goodell or, or Paul Tagliabue, whoever was the commissioner at the time, I think it was Tagliabue, they, uh, he certainly would not have let the cameras focus in on this rival league that's being formed. Oh, no. Paul Tagliabue would be like, no, let's not even, let's not even give them the time of day. No. Oh, exactly. You, you focus your camera on that blimp and, well, using Vince's phrase, you're fired. You're fired. Okay, so now we now let's get into the uh, the teams and the coaches for the XFL. So I, as you know, as you know, guys, I took I took very serious notes. I took about twenty six pages of notes. I was very prepared for this episode. So we have the Eastern Division. First, you have the Birmingham Blast. Oh no, 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 wait. I'm sorry. That's not the Birmingham Blast. It's the Birmingham Bolts. Yeah. So, so guys. Originally, the Birmingham team in the XFL was going to be called the Birmingham Blast. But you see, there's a problem with the name Birmingham Blast. Can you take a good reason why? Uh, Probably about six years earlier, there was something that happened in Oklahoma City with their federal building. Well, not not only that, but there's also um, a history with Birmingham and church bombings back in the 60s. Oh, yes, yes, yes. You don't want... That's no bueno. No 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 bueno bueno. for sure. Yeah. So, Birmingham Bolts head coach was Jerry DiNardo, who you might actually recognize. He's currently in uh, studio analyst for the Big Ten Network. He was the head coach at Vanderbilt and LSU... And after the league, he would go on to coach Indiana for three seasons. And a fun fact, Jerry DiNardo actually owns an Italian restaurant in Bloomington, Indiana. 
Guys, do you think our friend Chris Lambert has visited that restaurant? Probably a few Probably. times. Yeah, we we have to we have to ask Chris about that one day. Have you have you been to Jerry DeNordo's restaurant? <laughs> so we have we have the Chicago Enforcers, and uh, here's a here's a name you might recognize, Mike, as their head coach, Ron Meyer. Yes, I've heard of him. Yeah, Ron Meyer notably was the coach at SMU when Eric Dickerson and Craig James were there. By the way, Craig James killed five hookers. Oh God! Oh no! And and of course, you all you all know about the SMU uh, scandal with the play for players. But but Ron Meyer did go, uh, coach in the NFL. I think you. I believe he was probably the only of the eight coaches to have at least main NFL experience. He was. The head coach of New England from 82 to 84 and the Colts from 86 to 91. He was actually the head coach for the Las Vegas Posse in 1994 during the Canadian Football League's brief American expansion. That makes sense. Yes. So next we're going to go to the New York, New Jersey hitmen. And actually a a notable name, their general manager before we get to the head coach, was legendary Dallas Cowboys wide receiver Drew Pearson. Hmm. Yeah, Drew Pearson, of course, most notably remembered for that famous uh, Roger Stahlbach Hail Mary against the Vikings back in 75 at Metropolitan Stadium. I recall it. Okay. So the head coach was uh, Rusty Tillman. He played for the Redskins from 70 to 77. He was a member of the Super Bowl 17 that lost to Miami on special teams. He was a longtime coordinator with the Seahawks from 79 to 94 in various roles. He was the defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay for a year in 95, spent a season as a special teams coordinator in Oakland in 97, was the uh, defensive coordinator for the Colts in Peyton Manning's first season in 98 under Jim Morris Sr. And later after the XFL ended, he served on Mike Tyson's Minnesota Vikings staff on special teams from 2003 to 2005. Okay. okay. He has experience, to say the least. Yes. Next, we go to the Orlando Rage. Their head coach was Galen Hill. Uh, Galen Hill actually was the head coach at the University of Florida before uh, Steve Spurrier from 1984 to 1989. Galen Hill coached in the World League of American Football slash NFL Europe, another future installment, with the Orlando Thunder for a season in 1992. And then he coached with the Rhine Fire from 1995 to 2000. Hill coached in four World Balls, one with the Thunder and and three with the Fire, and won two World Ball titles, and was named Coach of the Year in NFL Europe Three different times in 1992, 1998, and 2000. Wow, storied career. So they're so you know they're basically going football minds with wrestling guts. Kind of. So now we go to the Western Division. We go to the Las Vegas Outlaws. Their head coach Jim Kreiner was a head coach in college for Boise State and Iowa State, and spent two seasons in the aforementioned World League as an offensive line coach for the Sacramento Surge. And then when the World League became NFL Europe, 
He coached the Scottish Claymores from 1995 to 2000. Okay. okay. Never so heard of we, him. I've heard of yeah. him. If you, it, it used to be for a while, if you had the uh, Madden game, they would include the uh, World League slash NFL Europe teams. Yeah, ah, you see that, that that's during the era where I didn't really play video games oh, from about from about ninety five until eh, pretty much about two thousand two or so. So that explains it. They had, they had NFL Europe teams in the PS two Xbox Madden era. Uh, I I'm afraid to admit this. I don't know how to say this, but um, I, I had uh, Madden 07 and don't remember that there. Because I think it has has gone by that time. Yeah, it was. But 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 also, the last Madden that I bought before two thousand seven was was Madden ninety four. So I totally missed that era where you totally the, where, did. Yeah, I missed that NFL Europe era in the Madden game. So I, that's why but I didn't that's ring an, a bell. Yeah, but that's another episode. Greg, continue. So next we have the Los Angeles Extreme. Their head coach Al Luggenbill was a head coach at San Diego State for five seasons and coached the Amsterdam Admirals from NFL Europe from 1995 to 2000. Now, guys, there was one notable player he coached, uh, Al Luggenbill, in Amsterdam. Do you, do you care to guess who that was? Because he was a big star at this time in 2000, 2001. It has to be Kurt Warner, I would guess. Yes, he was. Kurt Warner played in NFL Europe with the Amsterdam. Amsterdam Admirals in 1998, the year before he had that Cinderella run where he became the starting quarterback for the St. Louis Rams after Trent Green got injured and led the Rams to Super Bowl 34. And the rest was history. Yeah. Yep. And, a, and a, an interesting note about Al Luggenbill, um, his son, Tom Luggenbill, who is currently on ESPN, was a quarterback's coach for the LA Extreme. And guys, guess who was the field analyst for today's... By the way, guys, in case you don't know, we're recording this the day the new XFL launched. Do you know who was the field analyst for ESPN game, ESPN's game today? Tom Luggenbill! It's gone full circle. Yep. Oh, yes. So next you get the Memphis Maniacs. Their head coach, Kippy Brown, was a... Uh, Wide receivers coach at Memphis State, Louisville, and Tennessee. He was the running backs coach here with the Jets from 1990 to 1992 under Bruce Coslett. He had a bunch of other stints as Tennessee as a wide receiver coach. He was actually the coach, uh, running backs coach for the Miami Dolphins for 1997-97 and later won a Super Bowl as the wide receivers coach for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll in 2014. And a notable fact... In 1996, Brown helped running back Kareem Abdul-Jabbar become the first Dolphins running back to reach 1,000 yards in 18 years. And in 1997, Abdul-Jabbar tied a league 15 rushing touchdowns. Yeah, do you remember the football Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, guys? Yeah, I was just going to say, it's not the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that you know. Yeah, I remember him. He was a decent player. Yeah. And a notable fact, the Maniacs director of player personnel was Steve Ortmeier, who was the architect of the Super Bowl 18 champion Los Angeles Raiders. 
And alas, we have the San Francisco Demons. Their head coach was Jim Skipper. He was the running backs coach for the Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars in the USFL from 83 to 85 under Jim Moore Sr. He went with Moore to the New Orleans Saints where he was the running backs coach for 10 seasons from 86 to 95 and was the running backs coach for Arizona for a season in 96 and was the running backs coach for the Giants from 97 to 2000 under Jim Fossil. And by the way, Chico, a notable fact you'll love, he was the running backs coach for the Carolina Panthers in two different stints between 02 to 10 and 13 to 18 and was the running backs coach for your team's two Super Bowl appearances. Yep, sure was. And he helped make NFL history as two of his running backs, D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, became the first set of teammates to ever rush for over 1,100 yards in the same year. Awesome stuff. Yep. So the broadcasting, guys. So we mentioned NBC was a 50-50 partner with the WWF in this league. So they had two games on Saturday nights and primetime. They had an A game and a B game. So for the A games, at least in the first week, you had the following commentary team. You had Matt Fast Scursion and Jesse the Body Ventura. Now, guys, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't this 2001? Wasn't Jesse Ventura the governor of Minnesota at the time? Yes. But, guys, did you know that Jesse the Body Ventura for two seasons in the late 80s was a color commentator on radio for the Tampa Bay Bucks? I did not know that. Nor did Yes. I. No. And, of course, Matt Faskirchen at the time, I think he was just like a play-by-play guy for the Brewers at this time, wasn't he? He was still in Milwaukee, right? The Brewers uh, or the Padres, I would assume. Because uh, I thought, yeah. I, I'm, I'm pulling it up. Hold on. Okay. Well, he was, uh, yeah, he was with the Brewers from 97 to 2001. And then he went to the Padres in 2002. So this was right before the last season that Matt Verscursion was doing play-by-play for the Brewers. Yes. And, of course, Matt Vaskirshen will come up in future installments, Sports Geniuses, and another future installment, Baseball IQ. Those are not on the list. They will be by the end of the night. How about that? And in the B game, on which was mainly just the regional telecast in whatever team's market was playing. Like, for example, the B game the first week was Orlando-Chicago. So it'd just be like the Orlando-Chicago markets. You had Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler on the B game. Now, Jim Ross, notably, it should be noted, actually did have NFL experience. He was, for one season, the Atlanta Falcons play-by-play man on, uh, I believe, WSB in Atlanta before he went to the WWF. So he had a Saturday A game and B game in primetime on NBC. But for the weekend, you had a Sunday afternoon game on TNN and a Sunday evening game on UPN. Guys, what stations were the WWF broadcasting at the time? UPN and TNN. And where, yes, I think they, they had been, SmackDown was on UPN for at least a year and a half at that point. And TNN would have just gotten Monday Night Raw in probably about 2000 from USA Network in September. So for the TNN broadcast, you had Craig Mervini, 
as the play-by-play announcer who actually worked in the WWF in the late 80s as Craig DeGeorge. In fact, Craig DeGeorge will turn up in future installments Herb Abrams Universal Wrestling Federation and future installment Roller Hockey International on ESPN. That's a a deep cut. Oh, yes. We're only beginning with the deep cuts, I think. Oh, but that but got but Mike, you're gonna be very excited when I tell who the color guy was on the TNN broadcast. You ready? Oh, lay it on me, Bob Golick. Wait, <laughs> wait, wait! The Bob Golick from Say by the Bell, the college years. Yes, that's that Bob Golick. <laughs> I have no words. Oh boy. But that, but on the UPN broadcast, you have. Chris Barlow, who was, I guess from my research, some kind of volleyball player turned announcer. But that's not that's not the important part. The important part is who his color guy was on the UPN broadcast. Are you ready for who his color guy was? Who was, who was his, his color, color guy? guy? Brian Bosworth. Yes, folks. Brian Bosworth of your installment, Blue Mountain State. Okay, there you go. Mercy. Uh, so, guys, that's not all. I have a fun fact I just discovered. Do you know who was a sideline reporter for the LA Extremes radio broadcast? Who was the sideline reporter for the LA Extremes radio broadcast? Super Dave Osborne. Shut up. Oh, that's great. I just hope he had Fuji on the sidelines with him. Could you imagine <laughs> Super Dave's giving like it? Imagine Super Dave's giving his sideline report and just randomly a player runs into him and he crashes into a wall and he turns into like a pancake. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So when we think of the XFL's television presentation, we think of one notable thing that it gave us. The Skycam, or in this case, the X-Cam. Now in the ESPN 30 for 30 doc, done by Dick Ebersole's son, Troy Ebersole, called This Was the XFL. The lead football director at NBC, John Gonzalez, explained the idea of the Skycam to Vince and Dick, and they weren't sure what it was about until Gonzalez showed them a Madden video game and explained to them, hey guys, this is what the kids are playing nowadays. If we want to get modern, if we want to do something that has never been seen in a football broadcast, we gotta go. We gotta use this kind of presentation because this is what the kids are into. Makes sense. Yep. And not only this, that, but they also had something called the Bubba Cam, which was a guy on on the field, usually in the huddle while a play was going on, and usually taking shots of the action on the field while all the play was going on. And Mike, we were talking about this before we started the episode, because I showed you one particular instance in a week two game. I recall it. So there's a okay. so there's a cameraman on the field. Just just being on the field. Yes. And so in this particular instance in week two, someone who, who will not mention yet, but a running back on the Las Vegas team tries to go around the the cameraman on the field and it results in like a 15 yard loss oh my 
God, really? This yes. is one of those cases of way too much, way too soon. And a notable thing I want to note about the XFL, all the stadiums in this league were completely grass. There was no artificial turf. I don't think they had uh, invented uh, field turf yet, or I don't think it was really widespread at the time back in 2001. So every stadium in the XFL had grass on it. This was at the period where Giants Stadium, where the Hitmen played, used grass because this was right after Jason Cena of the Giants got injured in the 98 preseason. And then a year later, Vinny Testaverde broke his ankle in week one in the 99 season for the Jets. So in 2000, they went to grass. So that's why they were playing at Giants Stadium in 2001 for the Hitmen. So they were all grass. So it was an all grass league. Field turf wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, and this was this was another thing Vince wanted to do. This is this wasn't some some pussy league where they play on official turf. No, they play on grass. Damn it, because this is a gritty league. This is this is this This was supposed to be a callback to Smash Mouth football of old. Yes, this was supposed to be like defenses is the best, and and yeah, we're it's going to be rough and in your face and whatever. And what screams rough and in your face than what they did to start the game? Now, you might say, Greg, doesn't a football game usually start with a coin? No, 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 folks. No, no, no. In the XFL, they had an opening scramble for the ball. So what it was was they would place the ball at midfield, and they would have two players run a 10-yard dash and try to gain possession of the football. And if the team got possession of the football, they had the right to either kick or receive. They were making a big deal out of what was ultimately a glorified 10-yard dash with a dive for a football at the end. Now, um, it was really cool when we when I first saw it. Then it gets kind of, I don't know, old, you know? Yeah. And by the way, I should mention, guys, the XFL's first injury resulted from the opening scramble. In week one, Orlando's free safety, Hashan Samiz Dean, suffered a separated shoulder prior to the Rage's 33-29 season opening win over Chicago. And he ended up missing the entire season. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's not any good. Oh, it is not. But, but, not only that, but they had no point after touchdown kicks. Boy, those kickers did have an easy job, didn't they? Told you they had an easy job. Yeah, they just had to kick field goals. So after every touchdown scored, no extra point after the kicks were done. Due to the XFL's perception that an extra point was a guaranteed point. So to earn a point after a touchdown, teams would run a down from the two-yard line, similar to a two-point conversion. And actually, this was not a new thing because the World Football League actually experimented with this as the action point. And it was identical to a 1968 pressure point experiment by the NFL and American Football League used only in preseason interleague games that year. 
So, guys, we talked about the whole thing about how there were, like, no fair catches in the XFL. Right. Yep. So I'll explain the punting rules for a second. The XFL imposed a number of restrictions on punting that are not present in most other league rules. The net effect of which made punts in the XFL operate under rules more akin to kickoffs. The purpose of these provisions was to keep play going after the ball was punted, encouraging the kicking team to make the ball playable and the receiving team to run it back. To this effect, punting out of bounds was a 10-yard penalty, outlawing the coffin corner punt commonplace at most levels of the game. Any punt that traveled at least 25 yards past the line of scrimmage could be recovered by the kicking team. Guys, remember that part when we get to the championship game. I am going to remember that part. Yes. Thus, instead of letting the kicking team down the ball, as is common in other leagues, the receiving team was required to try and return the punt or else lose possession. Also, the kicking team was prohibited from coming within five yards of the punt returner before he gained possession of the ball. This rule, known as the halo rule in college football and common in the CFL, was dubbed the danger zone in the XFL. Coming within five yards or less of the danger zone was a five-yard penalty much in the same as the no-yards penalty in the CFL. Now, mm-hmm. fair catches, of course, as we mentioned, were not recognized. So, basically, it's kind of it's kind of misleading, no fair catch, because legally the player has to be within five yards of the receiver before he catches the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that... That's kind of that's kind of a rip, guys. Kind of sort of, yeah. Yep. So the play clock in the XFL used a 35-second play clock, which was a little up from the NFL's 40-second play clock in an effort to speed up the game. Now, well, well, games, well, but well, in comparison, uh, XFL games are shorter than NFL games by on average. So, yeah. Yep. So. Now, here's where we get to one of the notable parts about the XFL. The Jersey nicknames. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. So the XFL would allow their players to wear a nickname on the back of their jersey. Vince thought that it would be a great idea considering that most professional sports leagues would have the back, just the name, last name on the back of your jersey. But Vince was like, you know what? I want my players to show personality, damn it. So I want the players to have nicknames on the back of their jerseys. Although, it, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, that goes into what Vince has said about the, XS, about the XFL. It's like, well, the NFL was the no fun league. The XFL is the extra fun league. Well, the, no, uh, the NFL is still the no fun league, if you ask me. But, uh, I mean, this is a, a clever idea, and... It's sort of carried on to Major League Baseball the last three seasons with their players' weekend. Yeah, because what's one of the best things about the players' weekend? The wacky nicknames on the back of the jerseys. The, 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 now, not just the wacky nicknames, but also basically every team is sort of wearing the same type of jersey. Just different colors, uh, but the same font. But it gives them some personality, especially when you've got players in Major League Baseball nowadays they have on the back of their names instead of their nicknames, they have emojis. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine if the original XFL lasted 20 years? 
We could have had like emojis on the back of the jerseys. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't be too bad. So now we finally get into the first week of the XFL. And there was one notable player with a nickname that would be something that is remembered to this day. In the National A game between the New York, New Jersey Hitmen and the Las Vegas Outlaws, there was one notable running back that had a nickname that everyone remembers. His name was Rod Smart, and the nickname was He Hate Me. Everybody loved He Hate Me. (laughs) But, I mean, think about it. The name sells itself. He Hate Me. Why does He Hate Me? Who is He Hate Me? What does He Hate Me? What is... And the way Rod Smart responded is, he hate me, that guy hate me, everybody hate me. Yeah, it just sold itself. And you had your first, you had like an instant store born right there. And the thing is, America loved him. I mean, that was maybe not the best player, but by far that was probably the most popular player in the XFL. Definitely the most personality. It's like, everybody loved, he hate me. Yes. But of course, uh, the first game you have massive ratings for week one. I think you had like something like an 11 and a half rating for NBC. But here's the here's the thing, though. The first game, the, at least the A game between New York and New Jersey was a boring game. I think the final score that I have the final score right here. It was Las Vegas over New York, New Jersey. 19 to nothing, and all 19 points were scored in the first half. In contrast, the regional game between Chicago and Orlando was actually an exciting game. I be- the final score was Orlando 33 to 29, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so, yeah, you have, you have an exciting first game between Orlando, but the problem was that wasn't really the national game. That it really didn't give a good first impression of the XFL when you see one team in New York, New Jersey, who had a net passing yards of 144 yards. Man, those are like Christian Hackenberg and the AAF type numbers. Basically, yeah. In week two, you have a notable switch. Now, in the XFL documentary from 30 for 30, Matt Baskerson talks about how, for whatever reason, Vince McMahon just was not a fan of the way Matt Baskerson called the game. So he had Matt Baskerson go to his limo and kind of like Vince is like, pal, uh, I've, I got to replace you on the A game. I'm going to have Jim Ross replaced you. Uh, you're gonna, you're just gonna like go to the B game with Jerry Lawler for a bit uh, until we can like figure out what to do. So yeah, you, you go there. And Matt Fascursion basically remembers it as yeah. I kind of felt like yeah, I wasn't good enough for the XFL. If I'm if I'm being said yeah, you're you're just gonna go to like the television equivalent to Siberia doing the regional game. That's tough because Matt Fascursion is probably. I would say one of the best, if not the best, play-by-play people, regardless of the sport. 
Yes. And of, and of course, now, of course, Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN and everything. So now we get to week two. The A game, you have the Los Angeles Extreme against the Chicago Enforcers. Now, this was a notable game because, guys, this was at the period where L.A., of course, did not have professional football this time. This would have been, what, six years after the Raiders and Rams left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have opening the crowd at the L.A. Coliseum to get the fans excited. Guys, do you want to take a guess? Oh, I'd say somebody like Whitney Houston. No, 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 no. Britney Spears. No. You, if you want to get people excited about this new football league, you have to call on the most electrifying man in sports entertainment. Yeah, that's right. You turn into the, you turn to the rock. Uh, oh boy. Well, he would have been a, a rising star in 2001. Yeah. So yeah. That, yeah. Makes, that makes sense. Plus this also, was, obviously after the uh, legendary halftime heat, uh, a year after the legendary halftime heat, if I'm not mistaken. Well, two years after halftime heat with Mick Foley, that'll be a future entry down the line. <laughs> but um, yeah, so yeah, and and also the Rock would have been in the Scorpion King at this time. So no, that's why I said he's career. a rising star because he was yeah in, in the the Mummy sequel, the Scorpion King. Yeah. Plus, also he obviously had a relationship with Vince in terms of being WWE property. Yep. So okay, guys. L.A. Chicago, do you want to know what happened during the game? Oh, something must have happened. What happened? Oh, guys, guys, you're not going to believe this. During the game, the power went out due to not... Because somebody at NBC forgot to put gas in the generator. Whoops. So, not only that, guys, but but because of that, they had to, in the meantime, go to the B game. And Matt Faskersion talks about... Oh, geez, I had been told I wasn't good enough for the A game. And now here I am back back on national TV because the gas went out. What do we say about karma? It's a B. It's a B. Yeah. So because of that and due to an injury on the field later in the game, the game was running late. And here's the thing. These games were on Saturday night in primetime on NBC. Now, guys, what's on after primetime programming on NBC and after, after the late, late local- yeah after the late local news Saturday Night Live? Oh, I, 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 been I, I'm host- sorry. Wait, I'm sorry. I had it's Showtime at the Apollo on my card. Oh, guys, no. Oh, that's no. after oh. Saturday Night Live. Okay. Okay. So okay. So, who would have been hosting Saturday Night Live this week in 2001? It was the recent Super Bowl halftime performer, Jennifer oh. Lopez. Ah. Yes. Say This would have been around the time I think she was still dating Puff Daddy at the time. Yeah. Or maybe, probably they were about to break. So, and I think this was also around the time he had those legal problems, if you remember... Yep. 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 I think we all we all remember that. So yeah. So needless to say, this was a heavily hyped episode. And he but here's the thing though. 
the game was tied after regulation. And they actually went to double overtime. And this is one thing I skipped because I wanted to talk about this. The overtime system was not really your traditional sudden death system. What it was was kind of similar to the NCAA in college where a team would start at the 20-yard line and they would have at least four downs to try and score Uh a point or whatever or kick a field goal. Well, now let's say, for example, like the first team is driving and you score in like two two downs or whatever. Yeah. So – so the opponent would have to score in the same number of downs or less. Or I like the... that. I'm sorry. I like yes. that. Yeah. So let's just say on the first or like the first play of the drive, a team scores a touchdown. The same team has to equal that in the in one down, or else the game's over. Okay, that makes sense. You know, sort of like it's it is the uh, it is it is the literal. Definition of sudden death. Yes. Yeah, a very modified version of the college rules, which I love, especially over the NFL current uh, overtime yeah. rules. I like it. I, I really like agreed. it. Yes. So, so you have this exciting double overtime game with LA beating Chicago, and you have another instant storm made from this game, and that would be the LA extreme quarterback, Tommy Maddox. Who at the time I believe was was largely considered like a cast off from the NFL. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, he was the first round pick of the Broncos, I believe, in nineteen ninety two, maybe ninety three. But yeah, he was supposed to be like the heir apparent to John Elway in Denver, and he wasn't. <laughs> but yeah, th- th- this was. This is a great way to revive his career because he did have a, a brief comeback to the NFL shortly thereafter. But yeah, more about that later, probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but, all right, so here's the thing. SNL runs late because of this exciting game. So basically, Warren warned Vincent Dick, like the duck, to Noel Edmonds on cheap, cheap, cheap. Don't do this again. <laughs> oh no i'm sorry i'm dead that's horrible sort of but here's of, the thing but not really but here's the thing i mentioned in the first week how the xfl ratings were phenomenal like it had an 11 and a half rating the xfl in week two got half the audience in week two Still good, but not as great as the first week. But here's the problem. As the league Mm -hmm. went on, the ratings went down and down and down. And it didn't help that basically most people in the press basically ripped the league apart as low rent. Well, I don't want to say it was necessarily low rent. But yeah, when you're playing with players that can't make an NFL roster or maybe are past their prime. Uh, yeah, that's, that's not good. Nope. 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 All right. So in this first segment here in the extended cut, now I'm here with Chico for the extended cut. Mike's not here for this because he had some other things to do right now. 
But in this one of two additional segments on the 2001 XFL, Chico, I want to talk to you about a player on the Orlando Rage by the name of Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom? Yes. Now, he was a journeyman quarterback. He played for the San Diego Chargers, Washington team we don't say anymore, San Francisco 49ers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Denver Broncos, and Cleveland Browns. He was a starting quarterback for the Orlando Rage in the XFL. So while playing for the Orlando Rage, Brom took a punishing sack that resulted in him being taken off a stretcher and onto the hospital. But, Chico, this moment right here. Now, I'm going to play you a clip. He came back a week later to play in the following week's game. And so what you're going to watch is a highlight package of the injury and his interview from the week following his hit, okay? Orlando Rager led by quarterback Jeff Brom. Seven TD passes, one of the XFL's first stars. Amazingly, he'll start tonight after a punishing shot that knocked him out. My first reaction was I, you know, I was shocked, stunned, dazed, confused, was was kind of, uh, you know, in another state of mind. I bet he was. I saw his head one way in his body, and I'm like, oh, goodness. You know, his nose was out the side of his ear hole, and I was like, man. His helmet was halfway off his head, and he was just laying there. I don't know if he was breathing or not. The concerns for quarterback Jeff Gaughan. So then they had to take him to the hospital to get the x-rays, and once those came out okay, then I was able to uh, come back to the field with a, with a neck brace on. For a guy to take a hit like that and then come back on the sideline and cheer his team on, that really was touching. You know, I'm getting goosebumps not thinking about it. All right, now, Chico, what follows here is maybe the single greatest moment in the history of the OGXFL from 2001, okay? Ready or not, here it comes. Jeff Brom, how in the world are you starting this game tonight after taking that hit just six days ago? Well, let me answer answer that question by asking you two questions. One, is this or is this not the XFL? Yes, it is. Two, do I or do I not currently have a pulse? Yes, I do. Let's play football. Now, that was awesome, wasn't it? That was epic. That was probably the mic drop moment of his career. No, seriously. That was it for him. Yeah, because unfortunately, Brom suffered a career-ending shoulder injury about a week or two later. But... That would not be the end of his story because he would go on to coach at his alma mater, Louisville, first as a quarterback's coach and as an assistant head coach before moving on to become the head football coach at Western Kentucky from 2014 to 2016, the head football coach at Purdue from 2017 to 2022, and recently was named the new head coach of the Louisville Cardinals. Does that make him an ACC legend now? Sure. (laughs) So one of the notable critics of the XFL was actually someone from within NBC. Someone notable at NBC Sports, but Dick Ebersole said, 
no, you you don't really have to do this. And that was Bob Costas. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, you don't want to mess with Bob Costas at NBC Sports. Yeah. Um, Now, guys, do you remember when Bob Costas had a show on HBO? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. So he had Vince on for about 30 minutes on his show talking about how horrible he thought the XFL was. And basically Vince was just like pissed at him saying, Oh, you, you're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about and whatever. And just went up and got into space and pointed a finger at him. Yeah. I'm (laughs) sort of surprised this didn't end the same way that Jim Roman and Jim Everett did. Oh boy. Well, again, you're talking about Vince and and wrestling. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he was going to get confrontational about it. Well, the bottom line is, by the t- by the by the middle of the season, this thing was hemorrhaging. It was, it was hem- hemorrhaging. It was hemorrhaging out of control, yeah. and it, yeah, it was hemorrhaging out of control, and it was a laughing stock of, of football leagues. Yeah, and in fact, guys, as a desperate ploy for ratings, they were they advertised on one week that they were going to go into the cheerleaders' locker rooms. Yes, and do you know how that how it ha- how this segment went? How did this segment go, Craig? Probably not very well, but not not no, it, not at all well, is it? No, no. In fact, it was a weird sequence where Vince was directing the cameraman. All right, all right, you're gonna go into the locker room and you're gonna get the cheerleaders. Are you ready? Go! And then the cheerleader bumps his head, and then there's this weird dream sequence with the cheerleaders. And then for some reason, guys, guys, I hope I hope you're sitting down, okay? This segment ended with for some reason Rodney Dangerfield coming out of the locker room wearing a towel, talking about how he gets no respect. What? Yes! Yes, I'm not even kidding you. Rodney must have been desperate in 2001. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Rodney Coyer must need the money at this time. Apparently that ladybug's money doesn't go far. Not really, no. No. So the next segment that I want to add on here to this episode from the stuff we did regarding the 2001 XFL back in 2020 was regarding Jesse Ventura. Now, I didn't mention this in the original recording of the episode back in 2020, but there was one person who took issues with Jesse's commentary, and that was uh, Rusty Tillman, the head coach of the New York, New Jersey Hitmen. And I have this Washington Post article from February 28, 2001 from Leonard Shapiro, and it's titled, Tillman Takes Issue with Vantura's Hype. On a day when NBC's top entertainment executives said the network intends to fulfill its two-year commitment to televise the XFL in primetime on Saturday night, despite failing ratings, one of the league's coaches sharply criticized NBC Sports' XFL analysis, Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura. During the first half of Saturday's game between New York, New Jersey, and Chicago, Ventura, a former World Wrestling Federation wrestler, 
called New York, New Jersey coach Rusty Tillman, a special team star for the George Allen Redskins, and later a respected NFL assistant coach, gutless, for kicking a field goal and not going for a touchdown on fourth and goal from the one. Informed about the gutless remark by NBC's sideline reporter Mike Adamley, Tillman said on the air, Good for Jesse. I don't have anything to say about Jesse Vinter. He wouldn't know if a football was puffed or stuffed. This is true. I don't believe Jesse Ventura ever played football in a professional or otherwise situation. Yeah, because as I mentioned in the previous stuff from 2020, he was a commentator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before the XFL, like back in the 80s. But as far as I know, never played football. Yeah, it's like he was hired simply for A, curating, and B, showmanship. It's the same reason why you have Ed Lover replacing Scott Farrell in season two of Battle Dome. Well, that and also I think because Scott Farrell, I think, got a job as an NHL announcer for the Atlanta Thrashers. True story, Scott Farrell did NHL radio color commentary for the Atlanta Thrashers. Today I learned. Okay, back to the article. As he was walking to the locker room after his team's 13 to nothing victory, Tillman told the inquiring Ventura, I don't want to talk to you, Jesse. I got nothing to say to you. We are standing by for Jesse, the body Ventura. Gotta hold it down. To talk to Rusty, the intimidator, Tillman. There he is. Jesse venturing into uh, hostile territory here. He's got a beeline on uh, Rusty Tillman. Fred Rogan saying, hold up here, partner. Jesse inching ever closer to Rusty Tillman. This ball game has concluded. And uh, New York wins their first one, 13 to nothing. How feeling after the win? I feel fine. Ain't you going to talk to me? You won. Sure did. Where's Coach? Look at this. Where is he? Come on, Rusty. Well, apparently. Tough one, mate. And the uh, fans here in Chicago with a chant, uh, I would assume, directed toward Rusty Tillman, who didn't really want to talk to Jesse the Body Ventura. Rusty, yeah. Rusty, why won't you talk to Jesse? What's the matter? Hey, I don't want to talk to Jesse. Come on, Rusty. For what? What do you want to talk about? I want to congratulate you. Yeah, First sorry. win, you're back in the race. Jesse, Your team gets you. the bonus. I got nothing to say to you. Wow, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I got him intimidated. There's no doubt about it. The guy couldn't wait to get off the field. He's afraid of me. All right, Jesse. And these the fans afraid of me, huh? Ventura countered by saying, Wow, I got him intimidated. There's no doubt about that. That guy couldn't wait to get off the field. He's afraid of me. But yesterday in a telephone interview, Tillman said he'll respond in kind Saturday night when New York, New Jersey hosts Los Angeles in a game that was reslotted by NBC to primetime Saturday night in order to take advantage of the Tillman Ventura episode. I'm going to fix them this week, said Tillman 55. I'm going to go on there and talk about Jesse. All the league suits, the TV suits too. I told them when I signed on to coach this team, I'm not going to do this WWF garbage. First of all, that whole gutless business on and after the game was manufactured by them to get me going. Jesse's been on my butt since day one. I know what that's about. It's about BIS. 
butts and seats. And also trying to get ratings because Lord knows the ratings for the XFL were dropping week to week and they needed something to generate ratings. And like Rusty Tillman says, he is a coach first and a showman second. He takes his job very seriously, even if NBC and the XFL don't. Well, he is a professional. A professional! Thank you, Sheik. I'm a football coach. I'm not going to embarrass myself on national television. I'm not going to embarrass my friends and family. I'd like to whip his butt, but that's not going to get me anywhere. I don't like this WWF stuff. I think their TV announcers are awful. Jesse is terrible. Brian Bosworth isn't any good. People would be better off tuning out the sound and listening to the radio if there is radio. By the way, the New York, New Jersey hitmen did have radio on a WABC 770. I remember this. They don't know what they're talking about. I don't think they get it. And the ratings are being had every week. I asked the league after the thing last week, can't we just drop this? Then they changed us to the league game. And they think it's great. That's great. Goddamn, pal, you don't know that this is great for ratings? I'm a coach. Like, I give a damn about ratings. I miss my calling as a coach. Okay. Ventura was not available to comment yesterday. Because, of course, he wasn't. No. If you saw the end of the game... As a viewer, it was fun. NBC Sports spokesman Kevin Sullivan. Not that Kevin Sullivan. This is another guy named Kevin Sullivan. I'm pretty sure he was not running the Dungeon of Doom while he was working for Dick, said yesterday. Jesse's job is to be entertaining. Tell it like he sees it and not be like a conventional football announcer. Now it's a subplot. It won't be scripted, but I'm sure they'll have some words with each other. Tillman also insisted he has not spoken to any league officials about the incident and that he hasn't been told to hype the Ventura incident by anyone at NBC or WWF. You called me, so I'm telling you, he said. The only thing Vince McMahon has ever said to me is be yourself. That's all I'm going to do. Meantime, the network's president of West Coast Entertainment, Scott Sassa, said he was disappointed with the XFL ratings decline. NBC and the WWF have partnered to launch the eight-team league, and both were thrilled when the season opening telecast did a 9.5 national rating to win its time slot the Saturday after the Super Bowl. The number has fallen ever since with NBC getting a dismal 2.9 rating for its telecast of this past Saturday's game between Tillman's team in Chicago. But Sasser and a conference call to reporters along with NBC president of entertainment Jeff Zucker said he was confident that the members will improve with some tweaking by NBC Sports chairman Dick Ebersaw and McMahon. <laughs> How's that working out for him? Can you imagine <laughs> Jeff Zucker, that fine, upstanding human being, Jeff Zucker, trying to spin the ratings for the XFL on a conference call? Jeff Zucker, the man who single-handedly deep-sixed two networks. And the man who deep-sixed his career by, well... We don't need to say that. No, I'm not going to say it, but you all know. Wink, wink, not not much to say no more. Yeah. We are building a business here, Sasa said. We're focusing on getting this thing going. We have a two-year arrangement. Based upon the agreement, we are planning to be on for two years. 
They were not on for two years. Asked if he had an explanation for the decline in ratings, he said, I don't know why. If you have the answer, Jesse Ventura called Rusty Tillman's field goal decision gutless. Wait, how's that the answer? I I don't know. I I ugh. we're building a business here. I'm getting a thing and somebody's trying to start something. I think they're trying to make fetch happen <laughs> with this feud. It's not going to happen. And people wonder why people were tuning out. Are people who watch football wrestling fans? Not necessarily. Are people who watch wrestling football fans? Not necessarily. When you turn on football, you're not about to watch wrestling. You're about to watch football. I know I'm about to watch football. Well, there's a certain segment of wrestling fans, and I've seen this, that don't necessarily watch sports whatsoever. I would say that like, there's maybe a good, say, 10, 15% of wrestling fans who don't necessarily watch sports, which is kind of weird. I, I'm guessing maybe they're just watching it for the entertainment factor. Which I don't get, but whatever. Now, there may be some wrestling fans who are not necessarily sports fans who might be watching also for the work rate of the wrestling. Because I know that's like a big thing on the internet. How people are like, oh, work great. Yeah. But when you go to football, it's like, yeah, there's some crossover with football and wrestling. And I think that's probably what Vince was counting on for the 2001 version. Because this was marketed as this is going to be like violence. This is going to be like old school, gritty football. And it really wasn't. No, it wasn't. I mean, the football was like when you have like rejects from the Arena League and the CFL and some NFL cast offs in your league, it just, it's not working. And I think that's why everyone just bashed the hell out of this because it was marketed as. This is going to be like football the way it used to be. And it wasn't. No, it wasn't football the way it used to be. I've seen enough Jaguar Gator 9 videos, A, to know what clicking the card in the upper right corner does, and B, to know that old school football is like what it was, was football. It wasn't any of this pageantry. It wasn't any of this showmanship. To quote a great American, Andy Griffith, what it was was football. That's the way it was, and we liked it. We loved it. Hallelujah. But just remember, whenever you watch a Jaguar Gator 9 video, just remember, you're always going to need that context before you get into the reason why you're watching the video. That's what I appreciate. You got to need that context. You need the context, yes. Of how this happened before you get into the reason you're watching the video. And to get the context, you have to click the card in the upper right corner. Yes. We all have you, Jack Arcator 9 and Turbo Snake, by the way. Respect. Respect. Respect, homie. So now, all right, so we talked about how the league was just hemorrhaging money. The ratings were going down. But still, this league had to go into 
a conclusion. So we have to go into the postseason. So how did the postseason work, you asked? Well, you'd think, okay, eight teams, two divisions, four teams. You'd have to think the first and second place team in each division would play each other. And then the winners would play in the championship game. No. For some reason, the top team in the East, in this case Orlando, would play the second top team in the West, San Francisco. And then the top team in the West played the second top team in the East, which was Chicago. Now, there was one difference in the postseason. Now, remember how I said you had a one-point conversion at the two? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, they, I guess to add, like, some interest in the postseason, knowing ratings were down or whatever, they changed the rule where you have the option to go for a two-point conversion at the five-yard line or a three-point conversion at the ten. So in the first semifinal game between Orlando and San Francisco, Orlando had a 16-point lead after the first quarter, but San Francisco would score 10 points in the second quarter to cut it 16-10. to Then San Francisco scored two field goals in the third quarter to tie it. And then San Francisco got a field goal and an interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, Mike, I said it. It's an interception return for a touchdown. I didn't refer to it as the other title. Good. And an extra point in the fourth quarter to lead 26-16. to So after San Francisco made it 26-16, to Orlando got a late touchdown and got a three-point conversion to cut the score to one. But San Francisco would hold on to prevail on an upset 26-25 victory. And then the other semifinal game between the Extreme and the Enforcers, L.A. dominated Chicago, beating them 33-16 to as L.A.'s defense got three interceptions and Tommy Maddox threw for two touchdowns. So, guys, you'd think that this would be an exciting final. It's two California teams battling for the championship. You've stuck by this league all year long. You think maybe that you're going to have an exciting championship game. Guess what, guys? This was profiled on SB Nation's ongoing YouTube series, The Worst. And guess what? There was only one season of the X- original XFL, so you're going to guess that this title game was not good. So the following clip that you're going to hear is from the April 20th, 2001 episode of Late Night with Conan O'Brien, where Conan previewed, and you're not seeing me do the air quotes around previewed, the XFL championship game between L.A. and San Francisco. And let me tell you, given Conan's later problems at NBC, I wouldn't be surprised if Dick Ebersol remembered this around nine years later. A few short months ago, there was, there was no way anyone could have guessed it would all come down to this. Of course, I'm talking about tomorrow night's XFL championship game. That's right. If you don't know already, I'll say it one more time. The championship game known as the million dollar game is being played in Los Angeles tomorrow night. And with both teams hailing from the Golden State, This should be the most exciting XFL championship game ever. Yeah! 
NBC is definitely one proud peacock because they're showing the game between the San Francisco Demons and the Los Angeles Extreme live. <laughs> tonight, and try and contain yourselves, but tonight we thought we'd take a sneak peek behind the scenes of the big game in a little segment we're going to call XFL Million Dollar Game Preview. If I hear that guitar thing one more time, I will lose my mind. Almost. All right. First off, as in any big game, the mayors, did you know this? The mayors of each city have made a wager with each other. True story. That's right. The mayor of San Francisco has put up a big bucket of who cares. <laughs> and the mayor of L.A. has put up an entire case of don't give a crap. <laughs> see what happens. Who wins? That's going to be good. It's going to be big. Now, the opening ceremony for the big XFL game is going to be very exciting. First of all, get this. A helicopter is going to fly over the stadium. And all the NBC executives responsible for creating the XFL will be thrown to their deaths. That's right. Yeah. See Dick Ebersole falling mid-flight. Ah, uh, there he is. They're not laughing in Burbank. All right. Uh... So you have a 3 nothing game for the first quarter. L.A. gets a touchdown to make it 9 to nothing. They miss an extra point. So here we have a situation here where it's third and 31. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention by this point, Matt Beskirchen after week six was back as the A announcer replacing Jim Ross. So, okay, so the clip I'm going to play here is the score is L.A. 9, San Francisco nothing. San Francisco is deep in their own territory at third and 31. Now, guys, remember what I said about the punting how if a ball travels 25 yards, it can be recovered by either team. Yes. Well, maybe. So San Francisco, to try to catch the extreme off guard, decided to punt with the quarterback at third and 31. And, well, here's what happened. Well, he got nobody back deep, Los Angeles. Orange 90! Watch counter! I'm not sure if Mike Pulaski has this in his repertoire. Well, he does now. Third and 31. Quick kick. There it is. And it's a free ball. A flag on the play. Jimmy the Jet got in between them, but it's Reggie Durden to pick up. It's Durden to cross midfield. You talk about a backfire. You talk about a plan gone bad. We'll see what the flag means, but if the play holds up, it's 16-0 L.A. I'll tell you what the flag means. San Francisco did not give the Los Angeles return man a fair chance to catch the football. Violation of a five-yard belt, kicking team number four. That penalty is declined. The touchdown is good. Oh, man. Well, so much for my offensive coordinator moves. <laughs> So, yeah, as Matt said, this did not go well for San Francisco. Uh, like, I think, like, two players collide into one player from L.A., and then 
the number 21 in L.A. picks it up, and he just returns it his very way for the touchdown. It's a good rule in theory. Yeah, because, I, I mean, if a punt goes 25 yards, any team can recover it, regardless if the person touched it or not. And you want to try to catch them off guard. You want to get some offense going, San Francisco, but... No, it did not go well for them at all. And the game just went downhill for San Francisco. They lost 38-6. to As a matter of fact, San Francisco would bench their starting quarterback, and their backup quarterback got injured near the end of the game and got replaced by their third-string quarterback, who recorded their only score for a touchdown with like 30 seconds left. Ooh, not a good day at the office for San Francisco. No. 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 And with that, the LA Extreme were the 2001 XFL champions. And do you want to know who the MVP of the game was? Who was the MVP of the game? The kicker, Jose Cortez. (laughs) (laughs) He earned his 30,000 that week. Oh, Oh, by the way, we didn't even mention the championship game of the xfl was called the million dollar game because the teammates split a pot of a million dollars it was actually originally going to be called the big game at the end but somewhere along the line the xfl decided no 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 i I think the million dollar game is much better well also the big game is generally referred to the super bowl because because the nfl doesn't like uh people using the word super bowl or at least yeah. media using it. Yeah, unless, unless you're sponsoring or, or something, yeah. Yeah. You know, being that it's the million-dollar game and being the, with the WWF connection, I'm surprised Ted DiBiase didn't show up with a giant check, and then after the game, Virgil took everyone to the Olive Garden for some meat sauce and breadsticks. Ha! <laughs> oh, but that would have been a great tie-in. Get Ted DiBiase to bring in the million. That would have been great. And then do the evil laugh after he gives them the check. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So, guys, the WWF and NBC lost a reported $35 million on the venture, only recuperating about, yeah, only recuperating about 30% of their combined $100 million investment. Although paid attendance was respectable. If unimpressive, because overall attendance was only 10% below the league's goal had been at the start of the season, the XFL ceased operations after one season due to low TV ratings. Now, before they had to shut the league down, NBC said to Vince, you're not going to get a second season of the XFL. So Vince thought, okay, well, maybe I can try to continue it at UPN and TNN. So he asked UPN, hey, guys, would you be interested in a second season of the XFL? And UPN was like, sure, Vince, but on one condition. You're going to have to cut WWF SmackDown from two hours to 90 minutes. Uh And that's not good because at the time, WWF had this big deal with Viacom where they essentially got all the ad money from their deal with Viacom. And losing 30 minutes of SmackDown meant they weren't going to get 30 minutes of that TV revenue of the ad money. So Vince was like, you know what? It's not worth it. Let's 
let's just shut it down. And so on May 10th, 2001, the XFL was done after one season. Aww. Well, the original XFL. Yes, the original XFL, because as I mentioned, the XFL was profiled in Charlie Ebersole, the son of Dick Ebersole's documentary for 30 for 30. This was the XFL. And at the end of the documentary, Vince says to Dick, you know what, Dick, I've been thinking maybe it's time to bring the idea of the XFL back. And what do you know, later that year, Vince McMahon said in a press conference, guys, guys, are you ready for this? I'm bringing the XFL back. And I remember when this was announced, like, in the end of 2017, I was like, what? Yeah, but also, like, around the same time, you had the announcement that the AAF was coming. Yeah. So so now you had two competitors to the NFL coming. And, uh, again, the AAF is a separate show for another day. But uh, the the one thing I got to give Vince and the XFL... 2020 credit for this definitely was not rushed vince took his time with the xfl and you can see that he's making wiser decisions because the commissioner of the xfl is oliver luck who is a former player also father of andrew luck who played for the colts uh and also he has experience i believe he is a football coach um me look. I, I want. I think he was coached at Virginia. Let me take a look really fast. I believe he was an AD. I believe. So yeah, he's the commissioner and CEO of the XFL, which is pretty lofty title right there. Um, president of NFL Europe, uh, ex- he, uh, athletic director at West Virginia for four five years, and the executive vice president uh, for at the NCAA before going the XFL. And he got and his, I, uh, and he got his JD from University of Texas School of Law in 1987. So he, he's not just a, an athlete, he's a pretty smart guy too. Yes. And I think Oliver Luck was the guy that instantly gave this league credibility, this new version of the XFL credibility because it because Oliver Luck is coming from the NCAA. It's like when you heard that announcement it's like, okay, they have to be serious here because Oliver Luck would not leave a cushy job at the NCAA if this league was going to be just one and done. Absolutely. Yep, they're, and, they're uh, definitely uh, thinking long-term. And I saw the uh, reaction to the games that we had uh, today, and it's been mostly positive. Oh, yes, it's been very good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first game. I didn't have a chance to see the second game, but this is definitely not the XFL of 19 years ago. No. I mean, you got, you have ESPN, you have Fox, you have ABC, you have FS1. So unlike the AAF, which used, you know, CBS sports network, TNT, and had some of their games streaming on Bleacher reports app, you have like serious networks involved in this. And you've actually got pretty decent players this time. Uh, You've got some name players, maybe not superstar players, but at least when Greg and I were looking at the rosters, 
uh, about a week or two ago and comparing them to the first uh, XFL's rosters, there are a lot more recognizable names. Yeah, I mean, you got Cordell Jones on the DC Defenders. Glenville in the house! Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's where I teach. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have uh, Sammy. I was going to say, you have Sammy Coates, the former Steelers wide receiver on Houston. And former Brown, but enough about that. Yeah. Yeah, Elijah Hood at the. Um... On the Los Angeles Wildcats. Tar Heel in the house. Oh, and by the way, there's another Tar Heel in the league, Chico. This is? Uh, Ricky Prohl's son. Uh, oh. Austin. Austin Prohl. Austin Prohl. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remember that guy. Who scored the first touchdown He's... in XFL 2020 history. Yes. L- little little uh, trivia for later. Yeah, the, the the first player to score a touchdown in XFL twenty twenty history came from what school? Duke. Shut your mouth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so. So yeah, I think we can say. Listen, we don't know if the new XFL is going to be a success or not. But I got to say, after the first day of games, we are loving what we saw so far. And um, the reaction online has been mostly positive. Yep. And well, the good also, thing about... Uh, I'm sorry. The, the other thing I wanted to add, the head coaches that they got this time around, they didn't just get retreads from NFL Europe. They got some very good coaches, or at least coaches that have actually coached at the pro level, at the NFL level. June Jones, Jim Zorn... Kevin Gilbride, Mark Tressman, each of those men has been a head coach at the NFL level. So they they weren't like retreads from NFL Europe or arena football or whatnot. They they got legitimately good coaches. And and not to mention we didn't even mention that the, the defensive coordinator for Mark Tressman is uh, Jerry Glanville. himself a former head coach. But also that makes you wonder, Greg, did he leave two tickets at the will call window for Elvis? Well, Mike, I hope. Well, I was gonna say. Well, Mike, I hope in tomorrow's game between the Vipers and the Guardians at MetLife Stadium, some guy who does the will call at MetLife Stadium is looking at Jerry Glanville's request, being like, "Elvis, what the hell?" Yeah, they don't get it. Do a Google search on Jerry Glanville and Elvis, and you'll get the whole story. So, guys. That's the XFL 2020, but the XFL 2001, you had opening scrambles, you, you had cheerleaders, you had no fair catches. You had Rodney you had, Dangerfield. He, you had Rodney Dangerfield in a towel. You had you had Matt Vaskersian and Jesse Ventura. You had like yeah, yeah, the black King, and red balls. JR. At the King, Jr. and Mike Adam Lee work at the same game, which was, let's be honest, strange. By the way, guys, Mike Adam Lee in WWE, that's a future entry. <laughs> <laughs> and Chico, you didn't even mention that Jonathan Coachman was also involved in the 2001 XFL. Of course, the coach was already in WWF at this point. 
And of course, the coach has gone on to bigger and better things at ESPN. And also now is doing the pregame on YouTube for the new XFL. So, yeah, we have like, a, it, we have it's one come full circle. It's come full circle for the coach. You got to love it. But good Mike, for him. good for him. But Mike, take us out. And then yeah. we'll get to what you said about, you know. Yeah, it had yeah, all of that stuff, and then it didn't have ratings. And Mike, yeah. all that you mentioned, Greg, is great, but there's one thing that it was missing. What was that, Mike? People watching it, and that's yeah. why we finally look back at the XFL as just another thing on TV. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. So the original XFL, the 2001 version. We close the book on, but man, the 2020 version, if day one is any indication, man, I, I'm looking forward to what's to come. It, oh. It'll be the new USFL, and I, I say that only sort of jokingly, because the USFL did get a good three years or four years uh, length out of it. Hopefully it'll last longer than that, but the the changes that I saw today and the games I saw today were very fun, so... Hopefully that continues and doesn't go the route of the AAF. Just as long as Tom Dundon does, Tom Dundon doesn't buy into it just to fold it. I think we'll be good. Uh, yeah, speaking of folding, another deep cut. Oh yeah, hey, Google it here. I'm not here to educate you, but I am here to tell you that we are on the web, and it was a thing on TV.com. You can there you will find past episodes, all of our social streams, and more about the show more about us we do kindly remind you that we are available where all fine podcasts can be streamed podbean apple music google play the like stitcher can't forget stitcher coming soon to pandora we hope no no, no we're the- on we're on pan uh no yeah yeah say coming soon to pandora but also we're on spotify okay spotify coming soon to pandora we hope and, of course, we got to send a shout-out to our good friends at the Place to Be Nation pop channel who have hosted us so graciously over the past few weeks. Oh, and this might be of big interest to them, so hopefully they'll get some real mileage out of this. Yeah, hopefully they do, and hopefully we do. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. just Again, like, subscribe, share. Don't forget to share our podcast because... Sharing is caring. Yes. Boy, it seems like I've heard that before. Maybe once we'll got Well, guys, our next episode later this week. Mike, we're going to finally get into a subject that has been grinding your gears for years. I don't want to spoil it, but yes, I have a rant. And, oh, I hope people at networks are listening because I need closure. Guys at Buzzer. We know you listen to our podcast. You need to listen to our next episode because Mike, he needs closure on this one subject. He really just, does. Just, just do it this once, please. Just make Mike happy, please. That's all we ask. M- make Mike happier. You, you showed Match Game Hollywood scores last night with Bill Cullen. That made me happy. Make me happier. Yeah, the only thing that was missing was, you know, getting... Dead Begley's tortoise and giving Bill Cullen a segue so he could 
get to the other end of the stage. <laughs> oh, funny you meant. Funny you would mention that. And you know what? I'm just gonna leave it there. Uh, for Greg, for Mike, uh, my name is Chico. Our time's up, and we thank you for yours. See you next time with another thing on TV. I kept falling in love with the center. Hey, where's my wife? I can hit my wife. Where is she? Six weeks later. Well, guys. <sighs> yeah, the XFL 2020 is on a temporary hiatus, hopefully, uh, because, of course, as everybody knows, the coronavirus has impacted everything, especially over the last, like, Four days. They say they're going to come back again next season. All I could say is I've heard that one before. Well, but I mean, it was a different game than uh, what we saw back in 2001. Yeah, it was a uh, different game. It was a better game. And it was a better game. Exactly. That's where I was going with that. As is usually like a theme on, on the, this show. I need closure, and I really need closure from the Washington, D.C. defenders, or specifically their fans. I want them to build a beer snake that stretches across the length of the stadium. Yeah. (laughs) Although, although, to be honest, PFT commenter has already declared the D.C. defenders the 2020 XFL champion, so I'm going to go by PFT commenter's word. I would have probably made them the champs, too. The Washington, D.C. defenders were the best team. The best, because Houston was 5-0. and Yeah. And who knows, maybe the NFL will sort of kind of borrow some of the stuff from, from the XFL. I mean, they did take the uh, two-point conversion from the original XFL. Why don't we uh, do the whole thing? Where nobody moves until the receiver gets the ball. I'm just saying, come on, that worked. Right, right. So much later that the old narrator got tired of waiting and they had to hire a new one. Well, better late than never, I suppose. Submission 149, Beta. The XFL 2020. The XFL 2020 went from February 8th, 2020 to March 8th. 2020, and it aired on ABC, Fox, ESPN, and FS1. Okay, Chica, we're here. It's now 2023. It's been three years since we recorded that episode back in 2020, and we recorded that during the first week of the 2020 XFL season. Yep. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was recorded at the same time as the nightstand episode, which means... No, it was oh. recorded the same time as you and Beat the Clock. Okay, so I was only here for one of those, I think. No, you were there for both of them. I was I Okay, I was there for both of them, alright. I remember there was something involving your power during... Oh yeah, because the power went out when I was recording. So anyway, this is like been because there was one other recording we had where the power went out. I remember that well. 
I had to record using my phone. And then halfway through, the power came back because summertime storms are a thing. Who knew? Now, in 2017, ESPN had a 30 for 30 documentary about the original XFL called This Was the XFL. And at the end of the documentary, Vince decided, you know what? Maybe it would be a great idea to revive another football league. So McManon actually purchased the trademarks of the defunct United Football League and an alternative brand called URFL, Your Football League. In early 2017. Which I didn't even know was a thing, but whatever. Now, as you know, we did an episode about the Alliance of American Football. Now, Charlie Ebersol, the son of Dick, was an instrumental creator of the Alliance of American Football, and he did the documentary about the original XFL. Now, Charlie Ebersol did this to hope to beat the revived XFL, and they did it by a year. But of course, as you all know, regarding the AAF, um, yeah, Chico, you know. Tom Dundon bought his way in and then blew it up. I mean, yeah, I was going to go under on account of all of the money being bled to death, but Tom Dundon didn't really help much. No, he couldn't have waited four damn weeks to have the season end. No, it was like, I got my gambling app, screw this. Like, I got what I need. What do I need this league for now? So on December 21st, 2017, WWE issued a filing to the SEC stating that McMahon had sold $100 million worth of WWE stock to fund Alpha Entertainment, which would be headquartered next door to WWE in Stamford, Connecticut, and they would be the ones to launch the new incarnation of the XFL. On January 25th, 2018, it was announced that the new XFL would begin a 10-week inaugural season beginning in January or February of 2020. In a press conference, McMahon stated that the new XFL would be dissimilar to its previous version, stating that there's only so many things that have FL on the end of them, and those are already taken. But we aren't going to have much of what the original XFL had. So they're not going to have Jesse Ventura taking it out on one of the coaches then? No. McMahon stated that the league would feature eight teams as a single entity owned by Alpha. And of course, the previous XFL was the same way as a single entity league, which had been revealed in 2019. Alpha Entertainment was established in order to keep the league's management and operations separate from that of WWE. And Vince was going to invest as much as $500 million, which was five times as much as his investment in the previous version. And considering that it's 2020 and we're now respecting women, the XFL, the new version, decided to nix cheerleaders, which is probably a good thing. So McMahon stated he wanted to play in existing NFL markets, but did not identify any cities. He also did not rule out playing on artificial turf because, as I mentioned in the original episode, the original XFL only played on stadiums with natural grass and not on artificial turf. 
Because they wanted to be like the original Smash Mouth NFL. They didn't have this fancy pants plastic grass they were playing on, no. Now, if you'll remember in 2001, I don't think they have, like, the field turf we have now. Because it would just be, like, the old school AstroTurf back in the day. Like, artificial turf has progressed so much because you have, like, the field turf. Which is, like... The artificial turf, which is with like those tire pellets in the uh, turf. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because the practice fields at Carolina had the same kind of turf. I remember because when I was a student there, I noticed that, yes, I was playing on turf, but they had these little, little, tiny little pellets He's- of rubber. Tiny little pellets of tiny pellets of rubber. It's too bad Tom Frey was no longer with us. He would have been great as in the original. Well, he was still alive when the original XFL was around. Maybe they should have gotten him to be like involved in the league. Yeah, maybe, maybe missed opportunity, Vince. So, like the 2001 version, the XFL had eight teams, all owned by the league's holding company, and to differentiate itself. Alpha Entertainment was spun off from WWE to keep the league's finances separate from the wrestling company because I don't think they wanted the WWE stock to tank. Gene, that's not going to be like a big thing. Vince, like, tanking a stock? I'm sure that will not come into play like a couple of years later. (laughs) That'll, That'll never happen. Why would that ever happen? Why would that ever happen? Now, with the AAF, it created issues when the XFL was trying to select cities because many of the potential candidates, for example, Orlando and Birmingham, which were cities in the original XFL, were selected for the AAF in 2019. So I'm guessing the XFL was probably thinking, well, if the AAF has a second season, it kind of makes no sense to have a team in those cities. But who did they get? Chico to be the commissioner of the 2020 XFL? I would like to know this myself. Well, you already know because I mentioned it in the previous episode. You did. And I do. It would be Oliver I'm Andrew's daddy Luck. And that was kind of a big get because he was working for the NCAA at the time. Oh, yeah. This was supposed to be a move that would establish some legitimacy as a league. Yes. So on August 21st, 2019, the XFL announced the names of the eight teams. Now, seven of the eight teams were all in NFL cities with the exception of one, which I'll mention at the end. But I'll talk about the eight teams starting with the Dallas Renegades playing in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Park in Arlington. And their head coach was Bob Stoops, the former head coach of the University of Oklahoma. So that was another big get for them. Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops, Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner. Although he had a bunch of Okies probably never forgiving him for coaching a team based in Dallas. Yeah, but it's a startup league, so it's like it's not like you're going to have a pro football franchise in Norman, Oklahoma. 
apologies for anyone living in North and Oklahoma. Next team, you got the Houston Roughnecks playing at TDECU Stadium, the home of the University of Houston Cougars. And their head coach, former head coach of the University of Hawaii and at SMU, June Jones. Very understated, very underrated coach. Because, you know, Hawaii has a hell of a program, just saying. And when he got to SMU, he completely turned around that program because you'll remember SMU, like right after they got the death penalty in like the late 80s, that was like a program like for 20 years was like in the dumps. Yeah. But he built it right back up. And now classic case has started from the bottom. Now we're here. Our next team, the Los Angeles Wildcats, playing at Dignity Health Sports Park, a.k.a the home of the Los Angeles Galaxy, a.k.a. formerly the StubHub Center, where the Los Angeles Chargers in their first couple of years at Los Angeles played at. They had to play somewhere before SoFi was finished. Just saying. Yeah, I know, but it's like, there was like this Eagles-Chargers game in 2017 where I swear to God, 80% of the crowd were Eagles fans. <laughs> Well, this was back when, you know, people did not take Los Angeles for a football town. Until Sean McVay made the Rams like a big thing. And then, you know, second Super Bowl champion to come from their home field. Yeah. Although, let's be honest, the first one has an asterisk because anything for the COVID season 2020, I don't count. And the Wildcats head coach was Winston Moss, former linebackers coach for the Green Bay Packers. Played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from 87 to 90. Played for the Raiders from 91 to 94. And the Seahawks from 95 to 97. Former second round pick out of the U in Miami. So he was probably coached by Jimmy Johnson. Probably. Does that make him an ACC legend? Uh, was Miami even in a conference back then? No. I don't think they joined the Big East until like 90-91. Yeah, they didn't join the uh, ACC until I want to say 2001-2002. I think 04, because I think they were still in the Big East when uh, they played Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl in 03. Or fourth team, the Seattle Dragons, playing at Lumen Field, the home of the Seattle Seahawks, and they're heck coach. Oh, God. I can't say this without (laughs) The head coach of the Seattle Dragons was Jim Zorn. Jim Zorn, of course, former Seattle Seahawks QB, so guy with some local ties in the Seattle area, of course, was the quarterback back when Steve Largent was their star wide receiver, but also former coach of the Washington R words that we can't say anymore. But also... He was the head coach for what was undoubtedly one of the worst play calls in NFL history on a Monday night game against the Giants in 2008. Secret Base has a video about that that I highly suggest you check out. And boy, that play was just bad. Hover on the name of the Seattle Dragons again. Yeah. 
Is that or is that not the same as the logo for the Seattle Kraken? Well, you were talking about the 2023 logo now. Yes. Yeah, the 2023 logo is very similar, but legally distinct from the Seattle Kraken. The fire makes all the difference. Now, I should note in the 2023 version, I didn't want to get ahead a little bit. But the Dragons did get retained, but they're now for some reason the Seattle Sea Dragons now. Because they can't do the Seattle Sky Dragons? Yeah, I don't get it. And the second thing, check out the max capacity of the stadium. Oh, 69,000. Nice. Oh, God, I knew you were going <laughs> to F me. All right, let's just go ahead to the DC Defenders. Playing at Audi Field, the home, the home of DC United. Not to mention home pitch of the Washington Spirit at the NWSL. Man, didn't think we'd ever have an NWSL reference on this podcast. Respect must be paid. Yes, streaming all their games on Paramount+. Plus. I know Natalie Portman's a big fan of the NWSL. I see her talk about it on her Instagram stories all the time. And their head coach, oh, Pep Hamilton. And Pep Hamilton, probably best noted for being the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts from 2013 to 2015. Gee, Chico, who was playing for the Indianapolis Colts around 2013 to 2015? God, I can't think of it. I can't put... Man, I'd be lucky if I knew what who it was. I'd be absolutely... I'd be Andrew-lutely lucky if I knew who it was. Yeah, I can't think of it either. The reason, just... Man. Yeah, you'd need a lot of luck to figure that out. Next, we go to the New York Guardians playing at MetLife Stadium. And their head coach, Kevin Gilbride. Now, Kevin Gilbride, former head coach of the San Diego Chargers, but a long career, was the offensive coordinator from the Houston Oilers from 1990 to 94, offensive coordinator of the Steelers for two seasons, along with Buffalo for two seasons. But his most notable stint in the NFL was the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants from 2007 to 2013 after being their quarterbacks coach for three seasons. And he would be the man who helped guide Eli Manning to those two Super Bowl championships over New England. So I guess if we have anyone to thank for the David Tyree helmet catch in Super Bowl 42 or the Mario Manningham catch in 46, I guess maybe we give a credit to that guy. Yes. Yes, we do. And maybe to a lesser extent from Super Bowl 42, Steve Spagnola for his defense. So next we have the Tampa Bay Vipers playing at Raymond James Stadium, the home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And their head coach, Mark Tresman. Now, Mark Tresman, notable because he would be the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes from 2008 to 2012, winning a Grey Cup for them. As a matter of fact, I believe one of the Grey Cups that he won back in 2009 
is going to be a future entry because there is something that happened in that game that makes it worthy of an entry, which I will not spoil. But after his stint in Montreal, he became the head coach of the Chicago Bears from 2013 to 2014, where it was not really the best stint because that was when Jay Cutler was the quarterback of the Bears. And if you're coaching Jay Cutler, you're going to have a bad time. Just saying. And then he was the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens for two seasons. I'm guessing that was after Jim Caldwell. Not that Jim Caldwell. The other Jim Caldwell became the head coach of the Detroit Lions. And then he went back to the CFL with the Toronto Argonauts, where he won his third breakup in 2017. Now, I mentioned there was one team from a non-NFL city that was in the 2020 XFL, and that would be the St. Louis Battlehawks. Now, why is that a big deal, you ask? Well, I think we kind of alluded to it earlier when we talked about the Rams. But yeah, this would be like a couple of years removed from them going back to Los Angeles. Because Stan Kroenke really wanted to have an arena in Los Angeles. Yeah, I remember he said, yo, give me an arena or I'm moving my team. So the Battlehawks would play at the Rams' old home at Dome at America Center. And their head coach, Jonathan Hayes. Now, before that, he was the tight ends coach under Marvin Lewis with the Cincinnati Bengals from 2003 to 2018. So, okay, probably like maybe the least impressive resume of any of the coaches, but okay, you got to get somebody, I guess. Now, I should note the XFL had quote-unquote 19. Now, let me explain the concept of this 19. They had something called Team 9, which was a specialized team that acted as a hybrid farm team and practice squad for the league and was inspired by a tactic employed by NFL Europe. So Team 9 would have 40 players meant to prepare players in case one of the XFL's eight teams needed to fill a roster vacancy. So they shared practice facilities with the Dallas Renegades and had their own coaching staff, which was Bart Andrews, former coach for the Amsterdam Admirals in NFL Europe, and is now the head coach of the Philadelphia Storers in the new USFL, and also was the head coach of the Omaha Nighthawks in the UFL. Yeah, one day we'll cover that in the UFL one day. They did last more than one season, by the way. Yeah, which is more than we can say about DAF or the first two incarnations of the XFL. True. During the first two weeks of the season, teams were encouraged to use players from Team 9 to fill roster spots but were not required to do so. They could prefer to sign a player unaffiliated with the XFL or re-sign a player who participated in preseason camps but was cut. Following week two, exclusively using Team 9 players to fill rosters was a requirement, with Team 9 constantly replenishing itself by adding new players from outside the league. Okay, so those are our teams. Now let's talk about the networks and the broadcasters. So, in January of 2019, the Sports Business Journal reported that the XFL 
was desiring that the majority of their games air on broadcast TV and had four television partners. ESPN, ABC, Fox, and FS1. So ESPN would broadcast the Western Division Championship and the XFL Championship, and I'm presuming Fox would broadcast the Eastern Division Championship. Which would make sense. I mean, you take into account that one network has the NFC, the other has the AFC, and they're pretty much modeling their uh, broadcast model off of that. So the networks had ultimate control over the game presentation. McMahon and his longtime media man Joe Cohen brought back many of the features from the original XFL, like the Skycam and the on-field Bubba Cams, along with some innovations that came from the AAF, including access to the on-field microphones, including the coach to the player radios, referees, and the Sky Judge, which arguably was the best thing in the AAF. So sideline reporters, like in the original XFL, were given full access to coaches and players for interviews at all times. All right, so let's get into the broadcast teams. First, for the Fox side, your A-team would be Kurt Menefee, the host of Fox NFL Sunday, and Joel Klatt from Fox's college football coverage, which is kind of a good fit because you want to have like somebody from your NFL side and somebody from your college side handling the color because obviously some of these guys Joel Klatt would be familiar with from college. And then for the uh, B game, well, you had... Kevin Burkhart, who at the time was the B play-by-play announcer for Fox. And of course, now, with the departure of Joe Buck in 2022 to ESPN, is now the A announcer for Fox. And, well, his color guy, well, let's just say he would be like his future uh, partner on the NFL. And he would have just retired from the Carolina Panthers at the time. Good guy, Greg. Yeah, we're talking about Greg Olson. And he's managed to become a great broadcaster in his own right. Although, at the time we're recording this, uh, given someone might be taking his job for undeserved reasons, a.k.a. Uncle Rupert happened to give this guy $375 million despite him having the personality of a wet fart. Do not do this to Kevin and good guy Greg. They are awesome together. Do not do this. Yes, and you could see while watching this that they had something going and it was pretty much a given like when Greg went to the NFL side that they would pair him with Kevin because if I'm not mistaken... Wasn't like Charles Davis at the time the color man for Burkhart? I believe that would be the case. Yep, Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis. Yeah, because that would have been the two team at the time, and then Charles Davis went over to CBS. And that's how Greg Olson came in, because there was an open spot. So the top team for ABC and ESPN, Steve Levy, who would have previously been, or was he working for Monday Night Football at the time because I think was this like, or he was about to be because I think Tessator was 
the announcer, right? Right. And Steve Levy would uh, join, I want to say, one or two years after this for Monday Night Football. And of course, that was before we get <sighs> Tweedledee and Tweedle passes. Well, that's your opinion. <laughs> Joe Buck and Trey. Joe Buck is Joe sucks. Sorry. You know what? I don't have any problem with Joe Buck, to be completely honest. I believe Steve Levy was the Monday Night Football announcer in 2020 and 2021. So He was definitely there before Joe and Troy were there. And his color guy, former University of Alabama Crimson Tide quarterback, Greg McElroy. And then you'd also have Tom Luganville. Who I mentioned in the episode from three years ago was the quarterback's coach for the LH Stream in the OG XFL. And as I believe I mentioned in the original episode, Tom's dad, Al, worked also for the LA Extreme. Yeah, Al was the head coach in the original XFL for the LA Extreme and the director of football operations. So I guess you could say they were the reason why Tommy Maddox ended up winning a championship in the XFL and revived his career with the Steelers later. Why, yes, you could say that. And on the second team for ESPN, ABC, was Tom Hort, the lead announcer for the SEC Network, and Joey Galloway. But, oh, Chico, you know who was the sideline reporter for them for the week one coverage? It's Aaron Rodgers' best friend in the whole wide world, Pat <laughs> McAfee. Off mics, I said something far worse, and I'm not going to repeat it. Good! I and said he- something worse about a certain... Somebody who works for Fox, but I'm not going to say who it is that I compared him to. So we're going to shut up about that. Hey, do you want to know something about Pat McAfee? He has a 1-0 record at WrestleMania. Because <laughs> remember, he beat Vince McMahon at last year's WrestleMania? Dude, Colin Jost could beat Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. And remember Colin Jost and Pat WrestleMania at MetLife Colin Steve. Jost and Michael Che were two willing participants at WrestleMania. And, and that's not only... all I'm going to say about that. Well, do you remember what Colin Jost wore for heel heat? <laughs> what did he wear? He wore a Cleveland Browns jersey. He wore a Cleveland Browns Odell Beckham jersey. Oh my God. Which, let's be honest, that doesn't age well at all. No, 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 if no. If Mike were here, he'd agree with us. But replacing Pat McAfee was Cole Kubelik, who worked with Tom Hart, and also Molly McGrath. I believe she was, didn't she host the season of BattleBots? Oh, let me look right here. Yeah, she did. She worked for BattleBots. Yeah. But this was when it was on ABC for three seasons. Oh, the revived BattleBots. Yes. Yeah, but be- before it moved to Discovery. So in lieu of network-employed rules analyst, they hired, uh, you can pronounce this name. Dean Blandino. Dean? As, okay. Dean That's Blandino. How, Dean Blandino, yeah who was one of Fox's NFL and college rules experts at the time, 
He was the head of officiating for the XFL, made available to analyze replay reviews and officials' rulings, and was retained for the 2023 XFL. Yeah, so the 2020 XFL was all about transparency. Yes. And so is the 2023 to an extent. Yeah. And the XFL also announced a partnership with iHeartMedia and the Vegas Stats Information Network, under which iHeart would stream gambling-centric betcast coverage of two games a week, and the league would produce a pregame show released before each game day on the official YouTube channel of the league, co-hosted by, oh, gee, I wonder why he got this job, Jonathan Coachman. He knows a guy. Spoiler, it's Vince. And the second co-host was Elise Ashton. Whether she knows a guy too, we don't know. Now, I should talk about the rules. Now, according to True Frank and Census Wikipedia here, some of the new rules in the new XFL in 2020, the spot for the kickoff would be at the 30-yard line. However, members of the kicking team could line up at the receiving team's 35-yard line, and blockers on the receiving team would line up at their own 30-yard line, and only the kickers and returners would move until the ball was either caught or three seconds after it hits the ground. So they're trying to like emphasize, okay, this is different. We're going to focus on player safety in this league. And honestly, when I first saw how the kickoff worked, I actually kind of enjoyed it. How I enjoyed it too. I thought it was very revolutionary. So kickoffs that could go out of bounds or fall short of the receiving team's 20-yard line could come to the kicking team's 45-yard line. The XFL also used two different types of touchbacks. A major touchback would occur when a kick travels into the end zone or in the air, which would result in the receiving team taking possession at 35. A minor touchback would occur when the ball would bounce into the end zone, which would result in the receiving team taking possession at the 15 to purposely discourage a team from getting a touchback. Teams would request an onside kick under more conventional kickoff rules if a team would opt for an onside kick and the ball would travel, of course, 10 yards before it could be recovered by the kicking team, as with other leagues, but cannot travel more than 20 yards downfield in the air from the spot of the kick to prevent the formation from being used as a loophole. The XFL for punting did not allow gunners. All players on a punting team would remain behind the line of scrimmage until the ball was kicked. And the coffin corner punt is treated as a touchback brought to the 35-yard line to neutralize punt coverage to encourage more fourth-down conversions. Now, it should be noted Oliver Luck conceded halfway through the season that the effort was largely unsuccessful since coaches continued to punt as usual. What the XFL did now, if you'll remember in the original XFL, you couldn't kick an extra point. You had to take a conversion from the two. But in the postseason, they had a two-point conversion from the five and a three-point conversion from the 10. That carried over to the 2020 regular season. So that was kind of like the one rule change they did basically as a gimmick out of the seat of their pants for the playoffs is actually like one of the most consistent rules in the XFL between all three versions. The action point? Yeah, from either the two-yard line, the five-yard line, and the ten-yard line. At least if you're counting the playoffs in the 2001 version. Also, teams could attempt two forward passes on the same play 
so long as the ball would never cross the line of scrimmage before the second pass. It also means that if a pass is batted back towards the quarterback, he's eligible to throw it again. Oh, Landry Jones of Dallas successfully utilized this role in a game. Oh, I didn't mention this. Yeah, the Dallas Renegades. They had former University of Oklahoma quarterback Landry Jones. Gee, I wonder why he was on the Dallas Renegades. Hint, he knows a guy. And I think we talked about this in the 2001 version, but the D.C. defenders also had former Ohio State quarterback Cordale Jones, who was responsible for helping get them to the national championship in 2015. Now, this rule was never utilized in the 2020 XFL, and I think to date as we're recording this, I don't think it's been used in the 2023 version yet. Overtime was decided by a three-round shootout of two-point conversion similar to a penalty shootout in soccer or ice hockey. So this was a new rule since this kind of rule was never utilized in football. Unlike other football leagues, a coin toss is not used to determine who is on offense first. Instead, the visiting team is on offense first and the home team is on defense first for each round similar to baseball. The defense is not able to score, as should a turnover occur, the play would be dead. Defensive penalties would result in the ball moving up to the one-yard line, while any subsequent defensive penalty on any play, even in future rounds, would result in a score awarded to the offensive team. Pre-snap offensive penalties would result in the ball being respotted under regular rules, while post-snap offensive penalties would result in a loss of down and no score. If both teams remain tied after three rounds, multiple rounds, of conversions would be played until one team succeeds, thus assuring that no game can end in a draw. The overtime procedure was originally to be five rounds in 2020 had it been needed. And of course, as I mentioned, none of the games that season ended in regulation with both teams tied. But in the 2023 version, it has been reduced to three rounds. But one notable aspect about the 2020 XFL, the football used in the XFL games was a traditional brown color unlike the black and red football in the 2001 version, but each team had its own ball for use in home games marked with the XFL logo and the home team's logo. So that was pretty nice. I thought it was a trick of the camera when I first saw it. Oh, you thought that was CGI'd on the team logo? I thought, no, I thought the team colors were CGI'd on for some reason. What, like the graphics? Like, we're, yeah. Because if you saw an XFL 2020 football, it was a traditional brown football, but it had these uh, sort of sort of stripes at the end of it. Okay, so now let's go over the uh, games real quick. For February 8th in week one, we had ABC broadcasting DC and Seattle and Fox broadcasting Houston and Los Angeles. And then the following day, February 9th, we had New York against Tampa Bay on Fox and St. Louis against Dallas on ESPN. Now, let's go over the ratings for week one. You had a 3.3 rating for ABC and a 3.29 rating for Fox. Now, let's consider, okay, it's 2020. Like, it's not 2001 where... You're not going to get, like, the big ratings from the original XFL, because I think they got, like, a, for the first week, like, an 11 rating. And then it went down and down, obviously, from each week. But television had changed, like, 
a bunch from the 19 years between 2001 and 2020. Yeah. In 2020, a show that begins with a 3.3 rating is called Respectable. Yes. And actually, the Sunday viewership went up for Fox from 3.29 to 3.39 with a 2.1 rating. And ESPN got 2.5 million viewers for the St. Louis Dallas game with a 1.4 rating. Again, respectable. But in week two, you got DC and New York on ABC with 2.13 million viewers. You have Seattle and Tampa Bay on Fox with 2.32 million viewers. Then the next day, Dallas and Los Angeles on ABC with 2.4 million viewers. Then FS1's first game. And FS1's first game, St. Louis at Houston, through 1.36 million viewers for FS1 with a 0.8 rating. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, from that point forward, I believe each of the four stations would have a game. ABC would have a game on Saturday. Fox would have a game on Saturday. Then ESPN or ESPN2 would have a game on Sunday with FS1 having a game on Sunday. But I think as we're looking at the ratings here on Troop by Consensus Wikipedia, they actually would drop from week to week. Now, obviously, I don't want to spoil it for later, but I kind of wonder how the ratings would have progressed as the league would have went on past week five. Yeah, because I'm looking at from week four to week five, I'm seeing where it sort of kind of leveled off, especially on the Saturday games. Week four at Los Angeles at New York, ABC 1.56 million viewers. And then Fox Seattle at St. Louis on February 29th, 1.8 million viewers. Then the following week, Seattle at Houston on ABC, 1.55 million. New York at Dallas on Fox, 1.5 million viewers. So yeah, I see where it sort of leveled off. Okay, but before we get to the reason why the XFL 2020 season ended, and we all know why, but before that, let's talk about what happened the next day in D.C. between St. Louis and the Defenders at Audi Field, because I gotta say, Chico, the lasting legacy of the 2020 version was a beer snake. Now you're gonna have to explain to me what a beer snake is. Okay, a beer snake is, you know those plastic cups you serve beer in? The plastic cups you serve beer in, I know that. Okay, so what if I put another cup on top of this plastic cup? You would have a stack of cups. You'd have a stack of cups. But what if you had, like, a stack of cups, a giant stack of cups, but you would have it held by everybody in the crowd? And it would just form and form. It'd go up and up and up and up and up. Then you would have a beer snake. Yes! That's exactly what a beer snake is. So Defenders fans throughout a few games in the 2020 season, we're trying to make it a tradition of putting beer snakes during every home game. And here is what the beer snake was like in its early stages in the week five game against St. Louis. It's kind of a new tradition. So it's got a way to go. That was from a couple of weeks ago. It's in the early infant stages. It's only the second quarter. And it's a 6-6 game. 
There's been all kinds of intrigue and injuries early on in this game. Now, can you describe for our viewers what you are seeing? I am seeing a very tall, I'm guessing at least six feet, stack of plastic cups. But you know what? As I'm pausing this video, do you know what it looks like? It, I don't want to know what it looks like. Well, Charles Robinson, can you say what it looks like on the image we paused? That's a penis. Yes, Charles. That's exactly what it looked like when I paused the video. Oh, hold on. Did I mention that the XFL 2020 version was so big on the gambling? Yeah. Yeah, you did. Since they would have, like, the gambling spreads, like, all over their broadcasts. Yeah, look right here at the video. It's 6-6, and St. Louis is the favorite by 4.5 with the over-under at 38.5. Yeah, they did not hit that. I hope you took the under. If you were betting on the XFL in March of 2020, I hope to God you were taking the under. But okay, as the game was going on, this snake became so long, it eventually reached the length of the end zone seats over at Audi Field. There's been quite the construction during the break as we head to the fourth quarter. The beer snake, the cup snake, whatever you want to call it, is really taking... I mean, this is a lot. It's a lot of beers. The crowd went nuts. Those two guys are grinding in the middle in the white t-shirts right there. They are grinding. The poor guy in row one, though, has been holding that cup for 45 minutes. Yeah, I think that's a that's a lot of weight on the triceps to hold that up the entire... Now you figure you got to try and get to the top. You've right? got to get to the top. you got 15 minutes. you got one quarter. And, and, and they're, they're throwing... People are throwing cups at them to add to the collection. I love that they just had a random USA chant during it. Random USA champ is random. And we're looking at a picture right now in SB Nation article, which I'm going to link for the extended cut. It's from Jake Russell. And it says, Beer Snake update, quote unquote, Harry, we've reached the top. And there it is. The beer snake has reached the top of Audi Field. Imagine what would happen if this was in a proper stadium. Oh my God, could you imagine? But I'm looking at this picture right here of the crowd here. Is that some sort of, uh, I don't know, a sea captain or something? There's a sea captain right here. There's a guy in a captain's hat. And we got some girl on a capital shirt. But one guy right here is wearing a Port My Cake shirt. <laughs> Which I'm sure PFT commenter would have appreciated being a DC resident. I like this. By the XFL's best estimation, this is from the SB Nation article, the huge snake consisted of 1,237 cups, 19,792 ounces of beer consumed, and of course, an unbelievable group effort. And according to the SB Nation article, the snake started out as two different snakes and then combined to form a mega fierce snake. All right, let me click on this video here from the Defenders Twitter account that says the best fans of the XFL reside at Audi Field, home of the beer snake. Talk about the, uh, the best tradition in the XFL, the beer snake. Now <laughs> and there's the captain. 
Well, we salute you, Beer Snake Captain. We've done some research, Kevin. This thing started as two different snakes. They combined in the fourth quarter because this is what it's all about. I want to take you through just how long. Look at this. There's a guy wearing a Bud Light seltzer box as a helmet. (laughs) Imagine what would happen if it was a White Claw box. He'd probably get his ass kicked. But the best part, Oliver Luck even partake in the state. He had a cup. I'm part of it. I'm part of it. And look, the captain, he saluted Oliver Luck with the beer. I'll never salute to you, beer captain. And according to Pep Hamilton, the coach of the defenders, via NBC Sports Washington, I had never seen anything like that. That was pretty cool that the fans were having fun. We gave them a reason to be happy and celebrate. But then, oh, unfortunately, at the end of the article, the week five beer snake could not last forever. And some of the remains of the snake were found in trash cans outside the defenders stadium. Read the tweet. Let me read the tweet from the Defender's account. Today we mourn the loss of a national treasure. Rest in peace, week five beer steak. Gone, but not forgotten. And it says, week five beer steak, March 8th, 2020 to March 8th, 2020. Drink more beer (laughs) with the quote attributed to TC Defender's fans. But oh, this is oh, this no. last. Oh. This, this last line is heartbreaking. It says, "Surely this won't be the last beer snake we see this season." The defenders' next home game is this Sunday against the Dallas Renegades. Well, about that, let's go ahead and say it. The XFL 2020 was done in. By COVID-19. And if I remember correctly, I think Vince was going to go ahead with the week six games. And then somebody said to Vince, you know, that's probably not a good idea. Don't do that. Which is not surprising because it's Vince. This is Vince McMahon we're talking about. He's not exactly the smartest man in the room. He probably had that soundbite echoing in his head. Is this or is this not the XFL? Answer, yes, it is. Question two. Do I or do I not have a pulse? Answer, yes, I do. So on March 12, 2020, the league canceled the remainder of its regular season games over concern over the pandemic. And during that time, the league was still planning on having a 2021 season. But on April 10th, 2020, XFL President Jeffrey Pollock informed employees on a conference call that the league would suspend operations and that all employees would be terminated. Three days later, on April 13th, the league filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection, saying that the coronavirus pandemic helped deprive the league of tens of millions of dollars in revenue. With the bankruptcy filing, the league put itself for sale and began the process of seeking a buyer to maximize the value of its assets to pay off creditors. 
Oliver Luck, who had returned home to Indiana on March 13th, was fired from this position for the bankruptcy filing, which led him to sue McMahon personally for wrongful termination the following month. On May 20th, 2020, the league made its first actions toward resuming operations by asking authorities in St. Louis, Houston, Seattle to reinstate stadium lease agreements that it had previously been attempting to discharge in the bankruptcy. On May 26, 2020, court filings in the XFL bankruptcy case revealed key dates surrounding the possible sale of the league. And as part of the bankruptcy agreement, Vince was not allowed to buy back the XFL. The deadline to follow as a bidder was set for July 30th, with the auction scheduled to take place on August 3rd, and the sale hearing was set for August 7th. And then on July 1st, 2020, ESPN filed a motion in court saying that they would be willing to consider broadcasting the XFL again under new ownership, but also made clear that they would not hold any stake in XFL assets. ESPN even stated that the XFL's services, skills, and talents were not fungible. On July 23rd, 2020, Fox also filed a motion in court signaled a willingness to broadcast the XFL as well, but only under the condition that a new league owner could negotiate a new broadcast agreement. Fox described the XFL as a debitor, and on July 28, 2020, it was revealed that ABC had joined Fox and ESPN in calling for new television deals via the court system. It was also reported that ESPN, which is also connected to ABC, wanted to sever ties with the XFL. However, Fox was still open to continuing negotiations with the XFL, but wanted new terms for any future broadcast agreement and was noncommittal. Now, somebody would buy the XFL. And do you know who would end up buying the XFL, Chico? Why, I do. It would be a consortium of Jerry Cardinale's Redbird Capital Partners, in addition to Dwayne Johnson and his partner, Danny Garcia. And they purchased the XFL for the bargain basement price of 50 million dollars and that's like nothing to the rock 15 million dollars to buy buy those yeah 15 million he probably has that hidden under his bed or something so yeah now we're in the 2023 xfl we got dc seattle st louis essentially dallas backs since they were playing in arlington anyway and they changed their name to arlington just to fit with the city i guess and houston But now we got New York now in Orlando. We got Tampa Bay now in Vegas. And instead of Los Angeles in the league, we now have a team in San Antonio playing at the Alamogo. Yeah, you know what the name of the team is? The San Antonio Bravos. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, Dwayne Johnson had a hand in that, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Dwayne was probably like, I got to get the logo of my wrestling character in here somehow. Because what does a Brahma have to do with San Antonio? Uh, Brahma Bulls? Rodeos? Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting about rodeos. Yeah. They're not just the Dallas thing, you know. It's an all-Texas thing. It's an all-Texas thing. Okay, as I stated in the 2022 year in review, because we mentioned the 2023 XFL has deals with ESPN, ABC, and FX. Now, of course, since 2020, Fox decided we're going to revive the USFL and have ownership in that league. And yeah, 
that's going well. Yeah, how's that working out for you? But with the 2023 XFL, you have it exclusive to the Walt Disney Company under their umbrella of networks. So ESPN, ESPN2 sometimes, ABC, and FX. But most of the games, unlike the 2020 and 2001 XFL, which half the games of the week were on broadcast television, now most of them are like entirely on cable. Which I can understand because ABC probably would have other broadcasting commitments on like a Saturday or a Sunday. And I think the reason for that is during the afternoon, you probably have mostly NBA games during the weekend. So that's probably why you don't see as many XFL games from the 2023 version on ABC. But I got to say, I think as the time of recording this, we're in the middle of week five. So they just have one more week to go, Chica, before they get at last the 2020 XFL. Just make it through this one week. I believe in you. Dwayne, just make it through this week as we're recording the extended cut. But we've noticed, like, there's been some great things about the 2023 XFL. There's also been some bad things. I mean, obviously, the good things, despite some issues, the DC Defenders Beer Snake is back. They had a little problem the first week the defenders came back because I think if you remember they threw lemons onto the field in protest over losing their beer steak. I remember that. I was like, I remember hearing about them throwing lemons on the field. I didn't know why, but how can you take the beer steak away? That's the XFL right there. A shame. And also the St. Louis Battlehawks who drew very well in the 2020 XFL because you had all those football fans hungry for football after the Rams left. The previous week, as we're recording this, back in week four of 2023, the fans came out full force. Yeah, they were pumped to have football back at the Dome. And they've been playing very good. I think A.J. McCarron is their quarterback. And... He's played decent enough for St. Louis so far this season. Yeah, he's a decent enough quarterback. I've seen him play in his college game. And what is the XFL but an extension of the college game? And San Antonio's been drawing well. And Houston, who was 5-0 and in the 2020 XFL when play stopped. They started at 4-0. and And as we're recording this on Saturday, March 18th, they actually lost their first game in franchise history on Thursday night, March 16th, to Seattle. But hey, starting your franchise off for a nine-game winning streak over three years? Hmm. That's the sort of thing that only happens in movies. But the league has been having some problems. I mean, Seattle hasn't been drawing well. Orlando hasn't been drawing well. And the most notable example was the Vegas Vipers. Oh, they're playing at Cashman Field. I've been at Cashman Field. Did I ever tell you that I was at Cashman Field, uh, Mike and I? Yeah, was that when the Mets had their AAA team in Vegas? Yeah, and you know what? As a baseball stadium, it's fine. As a football stadium, not so much. Yeah, because they couldn't get Sam Boyd Stadium because I was told that the reason why they can't use Sam Boyd Stadium is when 
the stadium for the Raiders Allegiant Stadium was built. There was a non-compete clause with Sam Boyd Stadium. Correct. To have UNLV's football team move there. So it's like, why'd you even put a team in Vegas to begin with? Like you couldn't get San Diego? And the thing of it is, nobody's using the stadium at San Diego. I don't even know if it's called Qualcomm Stadium anymore. Well, I think it's for San Diego State for their football team. Oh, okay. Yes. I think that was one of the reasons why they knocked down Qualcomm Stadium so the San Diego State football team would have somewhere to play. So if I think that there's a candidate for assuming this XFL has a second season, San Diego's probably going to get a team next year, I would hope. We shall see, but they got to expand. They got to expand because having three of your eight teams in Texas, I can understand San Antonio because they've always supported alternative leagues from the USFL to the World League to the AAF. But it's like, I don't know. It's just, and you don't even have a northernmost team. I think your northeasternmost team is Washington, D.C. I'm going to show you the map here on Wikipedia real quick. Yeah. You just have like Seattle here in the Northwest, Vegas and LA in the Southwest. I mean, most of your teams are basically in the Southwest and Southeast. And then you got St. Louis and Washington. Which are technically, well, actually Washington is more mid-Atlantic. St. Louis is, of course, Mid-America. Then you have the northernmost team of the eight playing is Seattle. With Washington, D.C. as the second northernmost. But only by so much over St. Louis, that is. So, you know, baby steps. They're taking football markets and giving football to the football markets. So, 2023 XFL. Let's just hope you can finish the season this time and hopefully have a better championship game than that L.A. San Francisco snooze fest in 2001. L.A. pretty much uh, made mincemeat out of San Francisco. Yeah, and then he had that crazy-ass third-down punt, which was returned for a touchdown. Oh, God, really? But in closing... The 2020 XFL gave us a beer snake. They gave us Jerry Glenville coaching at like age 80 as the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Vipers. It gave us an early preview of Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. And it gave us for five weeks in 2020 a very magnificent thing on TV. Well, you can put another cup on the beer snake over at itwasathingontv.com where we got more great episodes for you. We got director's cuts of previous episodes and hopefully more extended cuts of episodes to come. Since This was the first of the new series of extended cuts we're doing. But we also got mini-sodes and live shows. And also, don't forget to go on YouTube rate and review, and listen to us on your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever. 
remember to leave us a five-star review because, as you always say, Chico, sharing is caring. And don't forget, if you're on YouTube, to hit the notification bell to stay up to date on all future entries. So, in closing, I'm Greg, and that was Chico. And for reals this time, hopefully, we will never do another episode about the XFL again. We'll see you with four things on TV real soon. Wow! He's a beauty, huh? Now listen to this. One time only opportunity. If you buy the helmet right now, I'll throw in the entire XFL. That's right. You buy the helmet and you can have the whole damn league. No fair catch rule. It's yours. The fumble coin toss. Take it. The cameras in the cheerleaders' dressing rooms. Even the cheerleaders all yours. Hey, you remember the Memphis Maniacs? Of course you don't. That's why you can have all the teams, too. Would that be nice for someone, say, out here in Los Angeles where there are no football teams? Now, you'll have eight. And if you order in the next minute, I'll throw in former XFL announcer Jesse the Body Ventura. You can have him. He's not doing much these days anyway. So call now. I promise you, they don't make them like they used to anymore. Our operators are standing by. People, this is a very good deal. Originally worth $35 million, now only $29. And I'll throw in that running back, he hate me. Remember him? <laughs> of course you don't. That's why all this can be yours. Call now. There's only one XFL. You can be sure of that. The phone lines are open. Okay. You get the XFL helmet, you get the entire XFL, you get Jesse Ventura, you get He Hate Me, and if you call now, I'll throw in this WrestleMania t-shirt. Finally. That's pathetic. There was no doubt you got in, just quick. I'll go, I'll go. Okay, you gotta go. <laughs> Kevin, I tried. Oh, we were okay. with him, we were with him, but let me just tell you what he told me. He said, I had no doubt I was in there. And keep in mind, this is a Jersey kid, so celebrating with these fans, it means, it means so much to him. Jenny, Coming I, back for more. I think Jenny just, you know, I just say test it out. Go on the field with him and ask him. I mean, why not?